Spears. Damn you, old man! Wade, Duh, how the hell is your how the hell is the Whiskey Brothers um age limit young? I figured they'd be around like my forty year old ass or something well, like that. <laughs> so not the Whiskey Brothers uh, demo. It's it's very interesting. We found uh, that all of our individual demographics are different than our group demographic. If that makes any sense. So. For me, a lot of how I work publicly is I, I'm not really that dirty. It's a personally I am. I'm a I'm a you know I'm me. But when I in my stage show and everything else, I just don't automatically go there. I'm more interested in uh, having intelligent conversations that are funny. And then you throw in you know some cruise ship gigs, and uh, my nieces are now turning into teenagers, and just this weird. There's a, I don't, and then the, the nature of the internet in general, I don't know how anyone finds anybody, but the things I write and the, the videos I produce and the, the photographs I take and a lot of non-comedic stuff tends to find an audience that's a little more diverse than just the Whiskey Brothers, which is in fact 35 to 50 year old drunk dudes. So. As, I, as I literally sit here with, with my... <laughs> oh, are, you, are you drinking? I feel... Uh, yeah, you know what's funny? It, what's funny I, don't about, really, I don't really drink anymore uh, unless I'm on the podcast, yet this is a podcast, so let's... Uh, cheers it up. I've, well, there's so many ch choices. I've got Jane, I've got a whole liquor cabinet, but it's between Jameson, or I'm doing this double oak rye that uh, Old Humble produces down here, and uh, it's really, really, really good. Every time you guys talk about it, I'm like, yo, I gotta get out to Colorado. <laughs> I, I have to. And <laughs> oh, I, the Stranahan's guys. Those are uh, those are the Colorado folks. They're, oh, uh, they're good people too. We have old Umbles down here in uh, Houston. Hmm. They're a uh, they're a big supporter of the show, and I, I just I, I stumble into all these good whiskey making people, and it makes my life happy. Alright, yeah. for those of you who don't know who haven't heard the show, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the host of the Whiskey Brothers. Uh, the one who's been on every episode, literally, and I'm, I am counting that one episode where, all you, where you told him to fuck off because technically you were on the episode, um, <laughs> uh, Slade him. It's good to be here, man. Uh, thanks. It's been a while. We haven't talked in a while. It's yeah. It's voice to see you in person. Yeah, like it's too uh, much. Cheers. To peace. Indeed. The uh, world needs more of that. For real. Just it, You know what's funny? Me, <laughs> it's a funny conversation I had with my wife years ago when we were, um, she was picking me up from work as she was leaving and there was this like this ridiculous traffic going on and it was all because rubbernecking and she said the simplest and most profound thing I've ever heard like 10 years ago she goes you know this world would be a lot better if everybody minded their fucking business <laughs> it's it's a but you know here's the thing is that we can't and we live in a society that pushes us we, we live, we, American culture specifically, but Western culture in general is a comparative culture. We don't, we don't experience things the way um, people who process the world in terms of groupthink do, right? If you yeah. go into some of the tribal regions of Africa or New Guinea or some of these other places where the culture is communal, we don't have that. We only have 
a comparative society. I know what I look like, not in relation to you or how we interact, but compared to you and what we both have or do not have. Yeah. So rubbernecking is just society's way of making sure that motherfucker's a little more dead than I am. That's all. <laughs> That's all. But you, but it's so funny, and you say that because you are a literal world traveler. You've been to over 100 countries. No, uh, no, no, like over... Fifty something. Really? Something. Why do you think you've been over a hundred? I wish I had. There's there's only 202 to 12, depending on, 198 to 212, depending on who you're asking at the time. And I try to box it off by who has an Olympic delegation. <laughs> but then that includes places like Guam and Puerto Rico. So it, it gets really sloppy at some point. I like to say I've been to six continents and maybe a quarter of the world. So it's like 50 something countries. Yeah, you know, speaking, and the reason I bring it up is specifically because you talk about like the places you've been and the the differences in cultures and like some people will say, um, Greg Giraldo had a joke that it cracks me the fuck every time. He goes, "America's the greatest country in the world." He goes, "How do you know there's not a country out there where everyone gets blowjobs for a nickel and the other person out there is out there giving out nickels?" (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you know, and it's so true. It's like I remember. Uh, I've been to Hawaii twice. I'm blessed enough to have been there twice. Some people don't even go once. The yeah. second time I went, uh, me and my wife we did the the touristy road to Hana thing, and but we took a car and the um, we spent five dollars on this app and you know they start with the whole this trip will change your life and blah 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 and we're both like yeah what the fuck ever. But it really did though, like seeing how like mm-hmm. all like the natural greenery and just like the like. So many damn waterfalls in, in such a short, well, relatively short span of time, and and then just going like to just all these all these other random places, just even around the country, like it's different. Like I love how people will always say that uh, the South is the most racist place in the world, and I'll laugh. I go, "You ever been to Boston?" <laughs> it's like I live this yeah. shit. Like it's like I'm a big black guy in, in Boston. Everyone goes, "Well, you have nothing to worry about." I was like, "You say that, but uh." <laughs> Enough of anything is dangerous. Yeah, but but um, <laughs> but I bring it up because you actually are speaking from a place of knowledge, as opposed to some people who speak in a place of ignorance because they actually don't know their like other, anything other than their like town, their city, or boroughs. You always talk about getting out of Beaumont and never looking back, but like even some people like in your city probably haven't even left like that part of town. Oh, I know plenty of them. Plenty of them. It's I I think it's. I can't. T- I, I don't know if anything I'm going to say in the next however long we talk will make any sense to anyone or not. I know these are things I've discovered that make sense to me, and if you happen to be parallel to me in your journey or whatever it is you're up to, maybe some of this shit will make sense too. Yeah. But I grew up. I spent my first thirty years in in Southeast Texas. So my first eight or nine in a little city called Orange that no one's ever heard of, just on the Louisiana-Texas border on I-10. And then 25 miles west of that was Beaumont, which is where I spent, you know, years, grades three through whenever I got out at the age of 30. I started traveling in my 20s, and that's where the, the, the poke started. Like, wait a second. And I went to, to Europe. I, it was 2001, so I would have been... God, I don't want to do age me math. Uh, I was in my 20s, uh, in early 20s. So we were going to, this was, and it was October of 2001. So right after 9-11 had happened. And I was really far down on the list of comics to go perform for the military, to make a long story short. 
Everyone in front of me canceled. They were like, I'm not going overseas. I'm not going overseas. 9-11, 9-11, 9-11. And I was young and brash and 20-something, and I'd never been anywhere uh, outside of maybe a four-state radius around the Gulf Coast. Uh, I'd been to Florida and I think St. Louis once by plane my senior year of high school. I'd been nowhere. And Germany shook something loose in me. I was just this wide-eyed, ignorant Texas child who had... In my head, like all I wanted, I was going over there and these were weird foreign people and I was perfect Texas kid. And we, I remember the comic I was with and he's a great dude now and he's much more involved too, but we were both young and dumb and we would just making, I remember making fun of the accent and, oh, you know, yeah. we were just being stupid, childish, the way you are when you don't understand something and big and loud and all the things you don't that I would never be now when I go into a strange place. Like, I want to be the opposite. I want to be quiet and taking it in and trying to absorb. I mean, there's there's so much magic to entering a room differently than I used to. Uh, so that's the thing that kind of shook it for me. And then I would go back to the little bar I'd hang out in in Texas, and I'd sit there with these people who had never been anywhere. They'd only been one less place than me, you know, but I was coming back from Germany, and I was suddenly... All these people on the news that were, were in Afghanistan and bombs and terror and all this stuff, I had faces that went along with these guys. Hey, really great show tonight. Uh, I've got to fly a relief mission into Afghanistan in the morning. Nice to meet you. And you're the, uh, you know, they're the loadmasters on these planes. And suddenly the stories stop being, you know, to your 20-something-year-old soft head, the thing that the, the news is cramming into you. Because if you remember... The, the early 2000s, the late 90s, was when entertainment news was really coming into its own anyway. Yeah. So the Gulf War was the first thing we had that was really, that in my mind, I'm sure had I been here during Vietnam or anything else, the sensationalism would have been there as well. It just would have been slower, right? It's just a newspaper or the radio at night. But for us, we were like the first generation in this Gulf War, where it was different than even the first Gulf War, they were, they figured, the first Gulf War, they figured out, oh, we can monetize all this. And by the time we got to shock and awe, they couldn't wait to put stuff like that on the TV. Yeah. Shock, awe, bomb, explosion. <laughs> all, the key, all the key words and phrases that are going to um, excite yes. people. Yes, and I, and this was, you know, if you take... The, the advent of Fox News around that time and, and sort you know, and not to point the finger to either side because they're both complicit, but to me in Southeast Texas, they were more receptive to that conservative message. So yeah. that's what I would see duplicated a lot. You'd sit at the bar and you'd hear these people pair, what we need to do is turn the Middle East into a glass goddamn parking lot. <laughs> and, and you just, you go, but I was... Yeah, I was just kind of there, and not there, there, but more there than this, and it was enough. It's enough to shake you into a, an investigatory mode. Like yes. you, you just you go, okay. I thought everything I knew was right, like out of the box. I thought I just like everybody does until you're challenged. I thought I'd just been handed. Uh, the gift horse out of the chute. Yeah, I, well, what I got is right. What you guys think is wrong. And my whole job in this planet is to figure out how you're wrong and correct you. Yeah. Like that's that's a lot of, uh, so we just get there easily. And that's, that's kind of where I was. And it was just every subsequent trip from there was like a little more eye-opening until now. 
I'm just I'm more comfortable in other places many times than I am here. So, so you bring up something that actually leads to uh, one of the things that I definitely want to talk about. You you um, were just discussing about like you know changes. It's like you know. Um, I'm not a religious person by any means, but I'll, one of the things that uh, one of the things in the Bible I always loved was when I was a child, I spoke like a child. When I was an adult, I spoke like an adult. And like you kind of, you, people evolve. People evolve. Like that's just the way it is. If you're the same person you were, like I'm, I'm not the same person I was five years ago. Like you know what I mean? When I was shit in that. So I, I was born in the early '80s, and so from then up until about my little brother was born. Um, there was nothing but homophobia in like in my mind, just from like the stuff my my father would say, the stuff that people I played basketball with. My little brother was born early '90s. When he was about six, I was like, "Oh shit, he's gay!" Like I knew like immediately, and then that triggered something in my head, and all the really fucked up things that I was saying was just was based out of like ignorance and stupidity. And again, like and, and people always. Use the word ignorance wrong, when, <laughs> when, it's, when it's literally you. I like I was ignorant. I didn't know anything about the culture. I was lucky enough to hang around a lot of a lot of people in the LGBTQ plus community who was like, "Yo, come to the gay pride parade with us. You don't have to. You don't have to march with us. But just come hang out." So I sat in the car. Next year I marched. And I dressed up in all green. Little kid, I was a Hulk. Little kid called me Shrek. I was like, "Fuck it, I'm Shrek." <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? I, I roll with it. But like, you know what I mean? But it was. It was one of the best experiences of my life, just dancing and running around and just being a part of it. Now, this is an experience I wouldn't have gotten had I been closed-minded and didn't evolve into the person that I continue to try to be. And I bring that up to the Whiskey Brothers because you guys are on episode 997? It will be 999. We tape on Monday and then we follow okay. that up. We're doing uh, 1000 live Wednesday, March 2nd. Which we definitely, definitely, definitely want to, I want to get into because I think that's going to be super dope. Um, but the stuff you guys talked about in episodes 1 through 10 are far, <laughs> far from stuff that you guys have talked about. Since honestly, since probably <laughs> since the um, the Dale Cheeseman and Kiki Maroon days, and wow. and it's funny to, and it's again it's some of it's an age thing, some of it's an evolution thing, and some of it is just uh, pieces moving into different parts of their lives. Because um, for a while, I was like, nothing's beating the the Rob Mungo Slade Ham Kiki Maroon Dale Cheeseman. Uh, <laughs> like I was like, I was like, y'all aren't beating that. Uh, and you've been on board since. You've, no, when, oh, when, when did you come on board? Um. So for me, I came on. <laughs> I actually remember it was um, pole position. Okay, who was the cast? Um, it was oh fuck! It was you, Rob. Um, fuck up, uh, John Wesling and Voldemort. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I so I popped on because I was listening to Titus's podcast, and Sam happened to be on. And, okay, I know exactly when you found us. So and then I popped on on that, and I was like, oh, this is fucking great. So and you guys became background music for video game stuff and then i then i was like oh i got i got apple music i can jump and listen to the uh the stand-up and so that's how i became so like listening to it and don't get me wrong there's a lot of things i'm like i am super uncomfortable listening to this shit right now but it was also kind of funny because there were times i'd be listening to some of y'all and you'd be like uh i don't know if we should be putting this out or not <laughs> but, <laughs> But you so, so but you mentioned that in terms of evolution and that's that's really what it is. So mm -hmm. I 
I'm a believer. I'm a, I'm a uh, notorious note taker in my life. I've journaled since I was in high school. I've captured. Uh, if you asked me down to the month, I could tell you what I was doing. Um, and this goes all the way back to the '90s. If I just wanted to look it up, I have records of my life that way. Uh, it's very bizarre, but it's how I. It's I use it for a couple of reasons. Um, I, I journal for the sake of it allows me to track my own sort of patterns uh, because a lot of times we truncate time. You know what I mean? Like it's to me stuff that happened just recently. Um, happened just recently. The truth is it happened way back in the past. It's 10 years ago or 15 years ago in my head was only five years ago, but it wasn't. It was 15 years ago in my head. It was, you know, six years ago happened like in the last year. It's just all this crazy, timey, whimey. It went 80s, 90s COVID. Like I don't even know <laughs> what happened. It's, yeah. it, so I journal for those reasons so that I can't lie to myself so that I can't look back and go, oh man, you've only been doing this for the last year. When the truth is, I gotta stare it down because I'm really going back every morning before I write and looking at one year ago, three years ago, five years ago. And when I do that, there's no lying to yourself. You don't get to go, oh yeah, that's a thing you used to do 15 years ago. You're like, bro, that's a thing you used to do 15 years ago, and 10 years ago, and five years ago, <laughs> and last year, and last month, and yesterday, and I, you're doing it again today, bro. I have, so, a, I have a simple philosophy and it's a tagline for for the for the podcast, it's like I'm happy on my hypocrisy. <laughs> yes, yes, and you and you should be, and that's that's what. So I all the journaling thing for me is is what I've always I've always captured my life and the podcast in a way the same way I can look back at the evolution of my own ideas and beliefs and how I know what I where where I, my the worldview I've managed to cobble together now will be different than it was 20 years ago when I was so far the other end of the political spectrum or coming out of that Southeast Texas worldview or any of the things you just, you know, and 20 years before that, I wanted to be a T-Rex when I grew up. So like we're <laughs> never, it, we can't be beholden to those previous versions of yeah. ourselves. And I also don't have it in me to explain to every person the, the evolutionary process of how I went from here to here so so that's why when these people go back and start grabbing your old stuff and it hasn't even happened to me i just see it happen to so many other people and they're like well you said this. and i'm like you can't find the guy who said that he's dead he was killed by the guy who's here defending himself yeah. it's that's what we do it's we we're constantly assassinating these older versions of ourselves and every time you hold up to the light all my failures and force me to defend them which I can't do, uh, or force me to acknowledge them again, which I can do, but it then becomes this uncomfortable, I have to reintroduce the denial process of me having beaten this thing and moved on, right? The dragon's dead. No need to, 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 no reason to give it a fucking potion and bring it back to kill it a fucking again. You've already... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's how I feel sometimes, and I know there's people who disagree with me vehemently, but it's how I feel about the formal process of Alcoholics Anonymous, and some of these other things where it's a me looking at that upcoming chip or this birthday or the, and if I fail I'm starting all over and it suddenly carries this this huge impact versus they say what you and I forget who said this there is some philosopher much smarter than me but that the the things we focus on uh, 
become real. And that's you know, Jung or Nietzsche or some version of all of them. It says some version of that. It's all yeah. the way back to Plato and Socrates, but the or somebody else with a Greek yeah. name. But the that is what you focus on to deny a thing. You have to acknowledge it in the first place. It's why I'm not. A, it's why grudges don't work. It's why all of this letting go shit is real. Because if I gotta wake up every day and say you're not my enemy, bro, you're my enemy. You know, it's a. If I wake up every day and we just coexist or bump into each other, how we do and go about our business, that's different. You're not part of what I'm focusing on. Yeah. But that always naming your faults and your your shortcomings and your past. You got to own everything you did. Yeah, maybe, but what if I'm past it? Like, what if I just own it with the people or the person or the situation who might have been the victim instead of this big public lynching that you think needs to occur where I got to now shoulder all of my past mistakes? Like, I'm, I'm doing my best to walk up the hill with today's problems. <laughs> so, yeah. could you stop putting rocks in my bag? Maybe. <laughs> You know, uh, it's funny, like, I'm um, talking to my therapist, and one of the first things we talked about, because I'm, I'm a former cutter. Like, I cut, I'm a former suicide, like, the whole nine. So, for me, when I was talking to him about it, he goes, um, when was the last time you did? And I said, I was like, I don't know. He goes, well, if you do, don't be ashamed of it. He goes, he goes relapsing, relapsing isn't necessarily a bad thing. Acknowledging it and trying to move on is the purpose of all that. And so, it's funny, since then the urges have gone. Like, you know what I mean? I'm loving life a little bit more. And then, like, this whole shit with COVID, like, really fucked my depression up. But, uh-huh. but, as, but as you say, like, it's... I, it's sort of the... If you think about it in terms of the children who are least likely to become drug addicts or alcoholics, I think down the line, my, or wants to have problems or get to be eyes on all those things, probably weren't the kids whose parents were like, ah, if you want a drink, have a drink. It was probably the one, every time we make something taboo, it becomes more and more uh, uh, the thing to do, right? So for me, if you just even psych, and that's not because those tricks work on children, it's because of how we're wired. And I play those games with myself all the time. It's a, I would do it for a while. There was a stretch at the beginning of the, pandemic where I was it's when I was quitting a lot of drinking and I was going out I mean you gotta understand the I joke about it on stage now because I'm trying to work through some of it um like for myself but I look back at how much I was going out and partying and when I first moved back to Houston and I was you know dealing with a lot of grief and a lot of just my own shit but I'm six nights a week I was bouncing around with Sam and the guys and Rob, and we'd hit one of three different bars where we never had a tab. Are you kidding me? Do you know how much you can drink if you don't have to eat? I mean, 20 bucks in a tip jar at each bar, and you're done. So, so I, 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 and I was, Mark, I was driving home. Like, yeah. I don't even know the house. My car was like a horse. I would smack it on the ass and end up in the yard in the morning. Like, that was my... That was my plan. There wasn't even Uber. Yeah. And it was it was obnoxious. And you look at all of that and you think of the like right it's it's we it's hard to tell these stories to even talk about it because it requires exactly what we're talking about, right? Like this weird ownership of having done really terrible things. I never hit anyone, I never got in a wreck, I never got a DWI. I look at the math. And I look at the amount of time, the amount of mileage I drove 
versus the amount of cops per mileage if you wanted to do a a quick math equation on the back of a napkin in a bar that I'm probably leaving <laughs> drunk. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a I, I dodged more bullets than I should have. And I at the beginning of this whole pandemic, I was like, man, I'm just gonna stop. I'm not I can't go out. I don't really enjoy drinking by myself. It's very much a social crutch. So let's just see. And what I learned because I tried to prep up for the first week or two of the, you know, quote, we didn't know how long we were going to be anywhere. This is going to be two weeks, whatever. So I learned that, that, that seven days worth of food and seven days worth of pot is exactly four days worth of both. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it goes very quickly. Um, I had the most uncontrollable, rightfully so, munchies that you'd ever seen. And I succumbed to them. I completely caved and gave in. I went, well, the world's ended. I could be dead tomorrow. And if I'm not dead, everyone I know could be dead. And who cares anyway? And I don't know when I'm going to see another person. And after a couple of weeks, I had just gone through a full-blown... All I was seeing were the Whiskey Brothers when we were doing episodes. I was seeing no one else at the beginning of all of this. I shaved my head out of sheer curiosity and boredom. Uh, and then I was eating like no one's ever eaten in their life. Because I would go to the grocery store and buy everything because I didn't want to go back. And I would come home with angel food cake, like a, like a, like a butt cake. And I would cut it up Rob Mungle style and put butter on it and put it in the toaster oven. Yes, and I would eat half the cake while I watched the Great British Bake Off, and I would just blow up to a hundred. It didn't matter. I just yeah. like you know what I you know what I'm gonna be today? Fat. That's what I'm gonna be. And I, every day that was my and there was it got to a point where you just have to go okay, let's if for no other reason than sheer curiosity, let's figure this out. Like what what it, why is it that I can't control these urges? Why is it that, that I am I'm a grown-ass man who has resisted a myriad of urges over his time on this planet. I'm, I'm, you, I'm not, I've never been addicted to any of this, you know, like I'm, I'm, I've, I've got a strong willpower and mindset. So why can't I, why am I eating entire butt cakes after I've eaten an entire thing of Totino's pizza rolls after I've eaten a steak? You know what I, like why? And you get it. You get into the weird, sciencey parts of it all about how THC tricks your brain into believing it's starving and all these other things like that. Or you can just sit there with the emotion and go, "What is this? What am I feeling? And why is it happening? And what is going on?" And that's we don't do that as people at all. We are such reactionary little monsters to everything that comes along. And it's a it's a rare instance that we get to sit there and do that. And I had I had to do that with that particular uh, <laughs> circumstance. You know what? And and so uh, I didn't know dry January was a thing. But between the pandemic, so I started my new job in 2020. Um, and because I work at a hospital and I work security at a hospital, I move around. I was moving around a lot. I dropped 20 pounds just moving around, just you know, getting active and like, you know what I mean? I felt great. Yeah. Then March, then March hit. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was eating and drink. It wasn't, eating wasn't so bad, but I was drinking with impunity. I was just, but I'm not a, but I'm not a, I'm not a heavy whiskey guy. Whiskey, I enjoy now. I don't drink it to get drunk. I drink it because I enjoy it now. 
So I would have whiskey for like months. But these fucking 6.5 IP, um, percent alcohol by volume IP, IPAs <laughs> were fucking me up. And now I have a demon in my family. I like my grandfather, God rest his soul, died um, died from alcoholism. Uh, I haven't spoken to my mother in four years because she she's a drunk who disrespected my me, my wife, my marriage, and I was like, not doing it. And the way she just it doesn't matter. So my, last November to December, I put on fourteen pounds of nothing but beer weight, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna stop in January. And so the that month. I didn't drink. Then the first week of February went, I was like, eh, I think I'm good. Friend came over, got drunk. The next day, I was like, why the fuck do I do this? And I realized that a lot of it was, drinking with friends was okay, but then I found myself drinking by myself, and I couldn't figure out why. And it was, and what you said was a realization I came to yesterday. I didn't like being alone with my own thoughts. I hated it. I had did all my writing that needed to be done for the next few days. I was like, fuck, I have nothing to do. All right, I'll play Horizon for the next 12 hours because I have nothing to do. But I'm like, God, I really want to drink. And it was just because I didn't want to be alone with my thoughts. Now, they weren't necessarily bad thoughts. And you know what it's like being a creative person. You're like, fuck, I want to do this, and I want to do that. I want to do this, and I want to write this. and I want... So, like, my mind's all over the place. And it's funny because, like, when I'm recording, I drink because it's social. But when I record by myself, I don't really drink. Because it's just it's just me and myself and what it is, and I'm doing something. When I'm writing, I don't drink. But if I'm sitting home by myself, I was like, I enjoy the idea of drinking and watching something, or drinking and playing a video game. But now acknowledging that the reason I'm doing it is because I don't like being alone in my own thoughts is now a step further into figuring out why I'm doing it in general. So that month of January not drinking was really, was like really eye-opening. And then thinking about, damn, how much did I drink over the vacation, and I wasn't, and again, I don't drive, because people are fucking insane, and I, I'm not driving, I'm not, not putting behind the wheel with my fucking anger, so, but, um, just the idea of, like, just, I didn't have to worry about that, I could just get drunk, and at one point, I lived a two-hour walk from a bar that I worked across the street from, so I would see the bartenders, they're like, you coming by after work? Absolutely, and again, $80 worth of alcohol, $40 chip, two-hour drunk walk home, perfectly fine then i started working at a bar and then we would drink until 5 a.m and then it's but again like drinking's fun but it's finding out the reason why i drink kind of take took away like the 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 umph into it you know what i mean that's 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 what's important though is we you're you're getting close to something that's going to be groundbreaking for you because you're you're starting to poke at the at the wall, and it's you're 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 peeling away the plaster, and you're you'll get through it at some point. And and what's difficult about that is the only way through all of that is eventually you do have to sit with yourself and those thoughts. There's yep. no way around it. There's no there's no dealing with it. But this comes back to what we were talking about earlier, and it's. You don't have to, this was, this was, I, I've done an enormous amount of self-work over the last couple of years, and I say that, not, not to use the word self-work like in some pop culture kind of way, I just mean work on myself, and I know how to talk to me and counsel me and work through things, and I've done a lot of it because I haven't been around people. So, to the, like we were speaking about earlier, the, even when it came to things like munchies or whatever else, there were 
instances where I was like, all right, well, no more. You're just not allowed to eat after eight o'clock or whatever this rule was I would establish for myself. And that, that was, that was phase one of the experiment where everything failed miserably. Um, I can't speak for anyone else, but I do horribly with ultimatums. If you tell me I can't <laughs> do anything at eight by, by, by eight o'clock, I got to stop by eight Oh five. I've gone by every, I, I've got every, I've said, fuck you in every language. And by eight Oh seven, the toaster oven's back on and there's more, there's more cake inside. My so, wife calls me the most stubborn person in the world and literally like because of like stuff like that. And she'll go, she'll be like, she'll go, Mark, you can't do that. I'm like, why the fuck not? And, and then like I'm sitting there doing it and she goes, you don't even like this. Why are you doing it? Because you told me I could. <laughs> right. And then if you look at that from the standpoint of we do this with ourselves all the time. It's fascinating when it's you and your wife having that conversation. It's more fascinating when it's you and yourself having that conversation. Yeah. And we don't acknowledge it, but we do have those that, that mental dialogue, that inner argument that you're constantly having with yourself. Well, I'm not going to get up and eat anything. Obviously, I'm not going to get up and eat anything. It's after 8 o'clock. I'm just going to lay here. I'm going to watch TV. I'm going to fall asleep. The other part of you is like, bro, you're a grown-ass man. You want that food? You live in this house by yourself. If you yeah. want to get up and eat that food, why don't you just go eat that food, man? And, oh, I don't want to get up and eat that food. That's what's that's what's got me at 190 pounds, and I've never been this, you know, for me, that's a lot. So I'm going to lay here, and I'm just not going, man, you bitch ass. Like, that's the conversation that goes on every night. And one of me would win as long as I had a hard line in the sand. Yeah. And it, it was as long as you give yourself, and this transcends anything from self work to trying to learn a skill or changing jobs or whatever else. But the that permission to to drop the ball and not bat a thousand or whatever mixed sports metaphor you yes. want to use, it's it's really pretty great. Where you're like, all right, man, if I break tonight, that's cool. Tomorrow, it adds to the guilt I will feel, and that helps me in my rationalization process because I know me, yeah. and I know if I hold the if I hold the line tonight, then maybe tomorrow I'm allowed to cross it again. And that's it's almost you playing boss and employee, and knowing how your own dumb brain works, and figuring out the reward process and how we move, whether you know towards pleasure or away from pain or whatever, whichever motivator we react to learning what those triggers are and then tricking ourselves it's yeah. it's amazing how you can partition your own hard drive to to run its own operating so it's very it's very weird but it works so and it's funny we moved from the <laughs> talking about so why the chain so okay so just from a fan standpoint, oh yeah so yes yes so just from a, so from a fan standpoint when you guys said rob was done it was like Watching, like, knowing that, like, this is the last episode of a series you enjoy. Uh-huh. And I took a week to, like, I just wasn't going to listen to it. But I was like, okay, fuck it. I love Jerry. Whenever Jerry Wayne popped on the show, he would, I'd laugh my, I'd laugh my ass off. And I was like, okay, Rob, I was like, I was like, Jerry Wayne and Trey. I was like, all right, this, and Slay, I was like, this should be good. But, again, I'm losing Rob Mongo. Love Rob Mongo. Well, so you're, you're, what you're seeing, though, is... To lace it together a little bit, if it, the way I look back at that journal process and this lifelong capturing and looking at patterns process, I also now have, I mean, since February of 2011, so 11 plus years of an audio journal, I've been communing with my friends twice a week. I have an, 
Imagine if you had an hour of your life captured on audio for the last 11 years, and I'm able to trace back. It's horrendous in places to hear things that I thought or arguments I would have that I now would be on the other side of. And with that comes, there's no way we were all going to make it. You know, 11 yeah. years is, I shouldn't be here. This is, for all intents and purposes, this should be the saved by the bell of the next generation, and I shouldn't be anywhere <laughs> near this. But I am. And I'm the only through line, aside from Sam, who still is here to 20, whatever percentage of the time. But through every single incarnation, what you've really kind of been seeing is just a an extension of the person I'm kind of being along the way. And all right, cool, I'm this person, we have an empty seat. Who do we want to maneuver in that that's going to allow me to explore the stuff I'm into because I'm the only real constant at the moment. Yeah. And because of that, that's where you're seeing these weird little evolutions. And now as we tick towards episode 1000, the show is a little more uh, conscious and conversational and honest and authentic than maybe it was in the past, which is different, but... I think more mature and still funny. And I don't know if we're this I don't know if we're capable of being the same twenty something year old cut ups or however old we were when we started. You know what but it's I don't wanna say the show is better because it's almost insulting to say something's better, but Well yeah, as a fan, tell me tell me what this you've you've seen every incarnation. So what you know what it is? You talk about evolution. And I remember the last time... Because we never get to talk to you guys like this. So the last... And I remember this clear as day. Um, it was the last episode we did. And I was like, yeah, it was Trey for real. And <laughs> and I said... And I remember saying to you that I was like... In order to be a good comedian and in order to be a good cast member on your show, you have to be smart. Mm-hmm. And Trey... And I'm listening to Trey and I'm like... Dude, you sound like me trying to fit in, and it, it was and it was bothersome because it's like I'm listening to him like, dude, you are so much fucking smarter than this. Well, and, but Mark, this this and I, but Mark that thought. Trey was when I met Trey. Trey was the me that went to Germany in 2001. And it's funny. Trey yeah. has evolved, and I've watched him because I just took him to Europe in October of 2021, exactly 20 years after I went to Germany for the first time, and I got to watch, the reason Trey is as good as he is, and the reason Trey will be more successful than any of us, Trey Tutson is open to anything you want to show him. He comes in with a lot of uh uh-uhs, but those things crumble at the first objection, and that's really what makes it magic. Is that's how we all really should be. We all know shit. Trey's different from most people in that most people, if you show them something that conflicts with their belief, they'll just go, uh-uh, you must have had the wrong internet. Uh-uh-uh. And Trey goes, oh, shit, man. I'm going to have to change what I say. But yeah, That's the difference. And it's funny because even listening to him in his, like, in, in like, all his jokes, I'm like, he's, he's so fucking smart. And he always, and, like, when you're good at something and when you love something, you study. And I listen to him talk now. And I listen to him um, talk about comedy and how much he studies it. Like, when he joined the show, he went back and listened to 600 fucking episodes of this shit to see what he was getting yes. into. And yes. I admire anybody who's... I, I, and I hate you. I don't like using this word. But I hate people who get into a profession 
and then don't know the people who came before them. And I look at Trey, and I'm like, he's a student of the game. Like he's he's a scholar. Yeah, and he's it's, a scholar so much so that when I edited Jerry, so I, I've been doing a lot of production work uh, on the like not on the side, but just like as a a an exploration and shit. I want I need to know how to do, and I want to understand better. So I produced Jerry Wayne's special, and when we were in the editing bay, I called Trey because Trey has seen every comedy special that's ever come out in the history of ever. Damn. So he has an encyclopedic memory of, oh yeah, that was mainly that was that was just a three camera shoot. They cut to the audience, but it wasn't much. Versus, oh, this was like five cameras because Bo Burnham directed it, and they used that camera on the back of the stage, and it was a lot of audience shots. But that's how Tambor. So we talk about that like, like, like technically, yeah. and he was so instrumental in that that we're. I don't know if we've even said this on the podcast. We may have, and uh, I'll show you. Uh, you can edit it out. I don't know if I can do a share screen on here or not. But I, I'm not recording any any video, so it's, it's all it's all audio. Okay, but can I? Uh, but then we'll pause. Uh, I want to show you if I can do a share screen, uh, or can you go to uh, can you go to a YouTube link? Uh, yeah, hold on. Let me uh, let me hit pause on this. So, we I just spent about five minutes watching the. Uh, can I say what I just watched? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're doing a we're do, I'm, I'm directing Andy Huggins comedy special, uh, and Andy Huggins is an old outlaw comic. He's a he's one of uh, my pedigree. He's where comedy comes from, and he's been doing it for almost forty five years. He does not have a comedy special, so I am producing directing this uh, summer. We're about to do the Kickstarter campaign, and you just put I think the third set of eyeball. Andy Huggins hasn't seen that yet. Oh, um, nice. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> so uh, me. You and uh, one of the guys who's probably doing color correction on it, and Trey. And it was, and you know the funny thing, in hearing the people talk about him and hearing the stuff that he says he used to do when he was drinking, like it's all funny and it's all like, oh my god, like this is. He has like every time I've heard him, it's fucking hilarious, and it's, and it's. Well, you know, Mark, it, it comes to this. It's so funny. I, I had no idea that I was going to show you that we were going to talk about this. But the, the way this laces together with what we were talking about earlier, because Huggins is a guy who, a big believer in the uh, alcohol anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous program, and uh, he's, a, he's a lifelong alcoholic. He quit drinking, I think it's been 25 plus years ago now. Uh, he's an incredible example to, and not sponsor for, but asset for a lot of local Houston comics who have recently taken the... Uh, the abstinence plunge when it comes to alcohol. But Andy does own that part of his psyche or his previous life every single day. He talks about it on stage. It is a big part of, and it's ideologically as a director and producer, it's one of the things I struggled with because personally I'm like, well, you got to let go of who you are back in the day and you got to focus on who you are now. My job is to show them Andy Huggins right now and then the other part of me is like wait a second andy huggins is this 45 year body of work a huge part of it is tied to in some way or another alcohol or alcoholism even if it's his previous life a lot of what he talks about on stage now is the better version of him versus that older version of him so it's really disingenuous on my part to not to just, oh, we're not going to even talk about that. So that's why, as we're sitting there, you'll hear some of these old stories. There's a fantastic one that comes up. Uh, 
that that Tishon tells uh, about Andy being, you know, hammered in the bar and ruining the night for somebody else who's trying to take a girl home. And it's just <laughs> textbook drunk behavior. And, but it's really funny. And Andy and I have kind of talked about how not how he's not tied to any of that now and it certainly doesn't have any power over him but also he is kind of that's part of his identity you can't walk around it so it's it's interesting to have to deal with those stories and then watch a sober Andy do a stand-up set at the age of 72 it's just it's really cool it's it's fucking great um it, it is it's but again it's reinvention that's what we're doing that's what the whole thing is the so podcast yeah. The stand-up, it's all being a better version of day than you were yesterday. So, why the reinvention? So, because the show, like, it literally did a, it, it, when Rob left, the very next episode, it was completely different from everything previous to that. There yes. was There were no breaks, uh, the, uh, the hard hour then turned into the hard half hour thing left, yep. there was, and... More and more importantly, and, and again, speaking as a fan, the thing that I loved, and <laughs> the joke from someone who's from anybody who's um, listened to to the Whiskey Brothers for the talk about the craft. It's it's kind of cool for me because I don't want to be a stand-up comedian. I would be fucking atrocious at it. I, I just I just know that. But listening to to creative people talk about how they work is dope. Listening to Jerry Wayne talk about his non-binary kid, and and like accepting the person he was before to who he is now, is hilarious. But then, um, he'll flip around and talk about how ducks have corkscrew dicks. Um, Trey, we didn't lose everything. So yeah, it, but then it's funny. It's like so. Then Trey will talk about threesomes, his ex-wife, his parents. But then we'll flip it around. And literally have me. I was listening to the show, and I remember you telling me to to contact Trey and tell him this personally. He had me. He had like had me had tears rolling down my face, talking about what it's like to be black in a certain situation. I'm like, oh my god, I understand everything he's coming from. And so it's like it's it's this perfect balance of, like you said, comedy and conversation. And I know now there's this whole like thing with people where it's like uh, comedy doesn't have to be funny and. I'm not yes, it does. Yes, it does. First and foremost, it's not. It's that's that's a, It's an unfair statement to say comedy doesn't have to be funny. Co- to be comedy, it must be funny. Otherwise, they're just words. They're not. Comedy is a very specific. And I am the wordiest motherfucker that's ever walked the planet. <laughs> but I am the first person to tell you that if if it doesn't have a punchline. It's not stand-up comedy. I would tell you this about some of the late Bill Hicks work, and I am the biggest fan by nature and by proxy. Uh, it's but some of that latter stuff. Same with Carlin. At I was just gonna point, say. I remember because Carlin more than uh, Carlin more than Hicks, but Hicks yeah. was a. I would. I would. Most of what people love that is Bill Hicks isn't his comedy. We're all in love with Bill Hicks, the philosopher. We're all in love with that, that, that it's all just a ride. We're all in love with that Bill Hicks. It's, it's, it's formative in some of my own philosophy. But his comedy is way better. And Huggins is the one who's reminded me of this before. And as I've been sitting, you know, driving cross state with Andy in the car, and you, you have that weird generational moment where you just kind of look over and you go, ah, Hicks has been 
you know, the same three feet away having the same philosophical conversation. And, you know, I never met Bill uh, like a lot of these guys, but I've always been just one step next to. And, you know, for, for me, that's that it's great mental fodder, but you got to have the punchline. So, yes, yeah. comedy has to be funny first. Everything else, truthful and all that other shit. I mean, it's in it's in the root word. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the look. Trey and I were talking. So there's, I believe, formulaically, and this gets into the craft of it all again. Um, and this is part of why we did make that shift, right? It's some of the rules that were in place were to protect us from ourselves. I I think when you first start a podcast, and we went off the rails fast because there was it was the wild west. You can imagine 2011 on the internet. It was it was insane. So and we were right. Let me just say this. For, I'm going to say this for people who don't who um who um don't really might have been born in 2011 uh, or just the people who don't get the concept of that. Fergie was in the halftime show. Uh, I have a I, I, I can send you a photograph from that night. Uh, of me and her. Uh, it's in my. Uh, it's literally that night. It was in Houston. Uh, wasn't it? Was that the... Uh... I don't remember, but I remember going back and listening. No, 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 no. You know what? She was here when... You were here... Hey, Google. When was the Super Bowl played in Houston? Twenty seventeen. Okay, right. never mind. But that's I remember. Um, so the, it, we it, played uh, it because yeah, that's we did one of the first first or second episodes was about that. It, it's sad that I actually. God, you I guys knew, are better historians than I. No, am. this is this is how sad it is, and because like I said, I go back and I listen to like the old like episodes. So again, if I'm playing NBA two K, I don't want to hear the fucking announcers. So like I was going <laughs> back and listening, and this is how sad I know this. You went. You said you went to a bar. You saw Scarface, and he was like, "I want you to meet somebody," and that's how you met Fergie. Oh, yeah, you do know that story. <laughs> it, so, uh, Brad, Brad's a dear friend of mine. He's a... Um, if, you, if, if and when you speak to him again, tell him that old man Wade said there's no way in hell that he's not one of the top three most influential and best rappers alive, period. Of course he is. And that's, not, <laughs> that's not my bias, and I've had to set it aside. Uh, when he put, out, he put out this album uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, he's in our, he does our intro music. And that album, if you haven't listened to oh, it... Oh, I've heard uh, it. It's... Is deeply rooted. I think is the name of the record. That's exactly what it's is, called. Uh, it's one of the most. I, I, I forgot halfway through that it was a friend of mine, and it was me listening to hip hop in the in the nineties again, and or the late eighties. Um, he's just he's, he's a fantastic artist. But more than anything, uh, why it's easy to forget that he's the artist is because my relationship with him is purely. Uh, uh, French, we're, we are clowns at the end of a bar <laughs> talking to one another. We met when I first moved to Houston. I was bartending at this little spot that he references in a song uh, about going to Davenport. And Davenport is a bar in Houston. And I'd have to Google the lyric to tell you what the, what, what song it was. Uh, but <clears throat> that bar was a little tiny martini bar uh, down on 59 here in Houston. And nobody really went there. And when I first moved to Houston, uh, I was doing part-time radio on my buddy Outlaw Dave's show. And uh, one of the sponsors was the guy who owned this bar, Davenport. And I would pick up Tuesday. I go, hey, I'm in town. I used to bartend. I'm kind of broke. 
It's 2009. I don't really, you know, I just, I'm happy to pick up some extra money because the road's not really lucrative at the moment. And I started picking up Tuesday nights there and he would just come in because it was dead and that was his hangout. And he liked hanging out there because nobody was in there. And casually over the course of nights, I'd serve him drinks, he'd talk shit, I'd talk shit. We realized we were both kind of, you know, uh, snappy motherfuckers in that regard. And then a couple of nights I'd pop in when I, this is back in those drinking days where, all right, well, I'm about to hit three different bars. I'd go in and he'd be hanging out. So now we're hanging out on the other side of the bar. And then it, we, we started talking music, which is a deep, deep, you know, passion in terms of uh, consumption. And he was really into a bunch of old rock and roll and stuff that I was, I was kind of like, wait a second. So we started trading off songs. We both just, there was nobody in the bar, so we'd spend back and forth, my iPod versus his iPod. And I'd introduce him to stuff, he'd introduce me to stuff. And it, we just became friends by same dudes in the same place. And it, uh, to this day, I, he's, I, he's in my top three like real friends. Uh, so when we're sitting at Davenport that night, and I had gone, we had both popped in because the Super Bowl was being played here in Houston, and we were trying to both get in and have a drink before it got crowded because there were no TVs in Davenport. So it was a cool place to hang while people are watching a game. It was just us and a couple of people in there. Then the game ends. Sorry, man. I, I was like, I'm gonna bounce before I could get out of the way. He said, No, 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 no. I got a friend swinging by, and uh, that's funny. He, cool. he 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 dumped Fergie on me for about half an hour. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know another way to put it. <laughs> but that's fucking that's that's fucking cool, though, man. Like it's, it was uh, it was a good night. <laughs> so so we talked about the change, but why though? Like so. What was, what was the conversation that you guys had with each other to be like... The conversation happened off... The conversation... You, do you know... I'm trying to think of a good example. Because have you ever been in a scenario where everyone just stopped or changed direction or attitude without a word being spoken? And I know that's an odd kind it's, of... No, metaphor. it's... Honestly, like it's perhaps a, an altercation or something where everybody just suddenly like a like a like an unspoken wave came over the room and when it passed everybody's frequency was the same. Yes. Um, so I say that not in a bad way because that sounds that sounds like a, a like a correction. Uh um but it's not because Rob and I built this was a Rob Mungle the Whiskey Brothers is Rob Mungle and Bill Miller from 1998 like you cannot you can't change the dna you start with that's there's always going to be whiskey at the table there's always going to be really harsh truths there's always going to be punchlines making sure that those harsh truths harsh truths are, are are swallowable right rob and i had a a total vision and johnny was part of that and sam was part of that but as sam and johnny have come and gone johnny gone for good you, you saw Kiki and Dale and Ed and, and, and Owen and all these people that just picked up the mic. Ashton Womack, he's writing for the fucking Daily Show. Yeah. Now. Like, these are, these are people who came in and swung bats for stretches. Like, I talk about Ed Blake, Big Ed Blake, and somebody the other day was like, oh, so-and-so was better for it. And I was like, it's not even about... The enormous amount of time I spent in a room with him. If we did a hundred episodes, 
that's like two or three hundred hours of time. And I don't know if you total up like your friendships or how much time you spend with those people, but say you go to dinner with them three times a year, that's that's only about nine hours of time. So when I say I spent two or three hundred hours over the course of a period of time with somebody, like it's crazy. So you get in these concentrated stretches of, well, this is how we're vibing. We're all, I got a guitar, I got a bass drum, and I got a, I got a bass guitar, and I got vocals. That's what we can play right now. Well, if Kiki replaces that bass drum with a snare, and all of a sudden the guitar gets replaced with a didgeridoo for a stretch because that's what Dale's huffing, then, well, that's what we play now. And I don't have a choice but to play Aboriginal electric rock for this stretch because that's what we have in the room. Yeah. So when Rob walked out of the room, like literal lead vocalist or co, it's like it's like Night Ranger losing. You know, it's I, yeah. remember, I think of a good example. It's literally like Van Halen having to rebrand after losing Sammy Hagar and or then uh, yeah. David Lee Roth. You're suddenly like, all right, look, I know what the guitar is, I know what lead is, and I know what the name of the band is. But I also have to make it either sound like the band it was or do what we did when we added Sammy Hagar and go, hey, fucking David Lee Roth was great, but we're no longer jumping off the stage and kicking our legs anymore. We're going to sing where eagles fly for a minute <laughs> and see if that doesn't sell because I'm still going to move these fingers fast as shit. And that's that's kind of the best analogy I have. And if Rob Bungle hears this and doesn't appreciate a Van Halen analogy <laughs> and an explanation for how the Whiskey Brothers work, then he could just he could suck it. I was actually going to say you guys went from Soundgarden to Audio Slave. That's another. There you go. That's a, that's that's the one I wish I'd come up with. Oh, uh, um, that's a better. It's a better version. Uh, or even Tom Morello's solos projects or what he's doing now. Or the you, there is a. The only thing I can tell you for sure is that if you strum the strings on episode one and you listen to them at, at, at episode thousand, it is the same. There is a, there is an underlying tone um, that has not changed, and it is still a bunch of guys who enjoy being in a room unfettered, writing jokes with one another. You know what's hey, funny? You say that. I just want to make sure to plug the show because this is something you guys talked about on episode uh, nine ninety six when they were talk when you guys were talking about um, uh, the Greeks and how certain things were playing and how music um, at a certain pitch like the sound sounds different. It's exactly what you guys were talking uh, about last week. Yes, comes yes, up. yes. We are. Th this is. These are simply octaves of comedy. I think and. That's, that is really the best way to explain it. I don't think we've ever... What I can say for certain is that the cast on this show has been authentic to itself at the moment the entire time. And that, that changes. But we have been very, very truthful with ourselves and with the audience. Uh, from, the, from the point of view we had at the time, I think the entire... And that's the magic to the Whiskey Brothers. And I think that's, that authenticity is something I think all your fans appreciate. Again, back to episode one, uh, Sharita, she's still there. 
a th- almost a thousand. Absolutely, episodes. she'll be she'll be in the room for episode one thousand. And it's funny that like, I don't have to work overnight, so I actually can actually sit and watch you guys do episode one thousand because, it, which is funny, your back's fucked up. I just had back surgery two weeks ago, and I'm like, oh well, well work was calm. <laughs> like, I got, and like, I literally can't do anything. I'm sitting on my ass playing fucking the first Horizon in, in NBA 2K. But speaking of it, episode 1000. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there are perks that go into uh, listening, uh, live streaming, Subs- re- subscribing, which is important. Subscribing to the Whiskey Brothers YouTube page. Uh, get tell everybody where they can find it, just because because so, I don't want to get the information wrong. So uh, I probably will too. Go go to YouTube and uh, type in the Whiskey Brothers. That will take you uh, directly to us. And uh, as I say, it's the Whiskey Brothers. Let me make sure it's not just Whiskey Brothers. That's the if I had had control of this from day one, I do think I would have made sure that we picked a name that didn't have a direct art. Like it wouldn't have had a V in it. I would have just made sure there was no confusion. Uh, well, the so, good thing is, so I'm on YouTube. If you type in The Whiskey Brothers Podcast... The does it first, take you to a jug band in Tennessee? <laughs> thankfully, no. The first thing that pops <laughs> up <laughs> is um, The Whiskey Brothers 279 videos, and it's got the logos with the shot glass That's on it. That's us. Um, yeah, so we're doing... We're giving away... We're giving away $1,000 live. Uh, we have uh, we have blessed fans and sponsors... Uh, who have given? Uh, we have a stack of cash. I've literally got a stack of cash to throw at strangers. And <laughs> if you are subscribed to the podcast and here when we do it, which will be Wednesday night, uh, it's going to happen at seven thirty on March fourth, uh, Central Time. So uh, if you're on our, our YouTube page, you have we're giving away. I think I don't even we're making this up. Uh, so you don't have to just. It's not a random draw. People are like. Uh, I don't want to know. Is this going to be fair? It's not going to be. It's not all going to be fair. Some is it's gonna the be fucking Whiskey Brothers show. It's the fucking old Wild West. No, it's not going to be yes. fair. So some is going to be me looking at the screen and going, "You look really cool." Here's a hundred dollars, and that's what I. Hey, you just subscribed. Here's a hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, hey, you're the grand prize winner. Here's five hundred dollars. It's the very least we can do, and uh, you know we know how to throw a party. It's going to be whiskey and guests and lots of uh, talk and a thousand bucks. I mean, if I can't entice you with a thousand bucks, I don't know what else to do. I mean, We're really funny on top of that, but a thousand bucks. It's a thousand bucks. It's going to be fucking fun. Like, it, I'm, I'm sure there'll be some musical guest at some point in time. Someone will do something or... But, and even if there isn't, just for the fucking comedy alone, it's absolutely worth it. Like, if I live close to Houston, I would... I'd be, I would, I would, um, I would starkly creep you with a, um, with a uh, magnifying glass from the, <laughs> but like, it, but you know, I, it's a, it's a, we try to be, we try to be kind to those people who have been around for a while. And it's uh, if you were here, would slip you in, uh, musically, you never know. Uh, there is a chance Scarface has an invitation. There's a chance he'll pop by Marzi, uh, Montezara used to play uh, guitar for X order. Uh, in heaviest Texas, uh, he may stop by and shred. It's just a brand, oh, brand chef. We may have some chefs. It's a we just do a house full of coolness. And that's really what it is. We're gonna it, give it. Put in a thousand bucks. In a thousand dollars. And and guess who's coming? Who's coming? Mongol's gonna be there. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm there. I'm there. I am absolutely. We're putting Mongol back. Mongol said he's coming. Now, if he no shows, he no shows. But he says he's coming. I fucking that. You know what? <laughs> 
every every so often I think about my anger issues, but he is just the fucking king of that shit. It, it's it, it's amazing I, nobody has punched him in the face yet. But I also think that Mungo is smart enough to know one to pick his spots, two. He has reached a point of level of not giving a fuckness that I think that it's, and I'm gonna show my dorkiness. He's like Unis the Untouchable. <laughs> it's like like he like he has this barrier of like people yes. see is like ah. <laughs> I, yeah, I will never be that free man. It's but it's you say that, but honestly, like uh, conversation you said on the podcast and conversation you said on my show is like the list of people who don't like you and you're like. I don't care. <laughs> I, you know, I don't. I don't. And it's funny that even since the last time we talked, the this comes back to what we were talking about earlier. The I haven't even thought about a list of people who don't like me or because before I guarantee you when we were talking and it's been it's been plus two years. Yes. Right. Okay. Because it was like uh, right around your um, your book came out. Until all the dragons are dead. Yes, uh, that was. I know when that was, and I know the me that did that co- that did that podcast. And I can tell you that then I was very aware of a list of people I was no longer enemies with, even though they still didn't like me. <laughs> Sound familiar? Yeah. Sound familiar? <laughs> and I named them every night before bed, like Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? I'm not bad at this person and this person and this person and I'm forgiving this person and this person and this person. And this person. Just... And just there was a list of these jackasses, like by name, bro. So I wish I could Photoshop your face laying in bed like like Arya Stark. <laughs> Arya Stark just naming like like Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> uh, no, he's great. But the, the the handful of those people, but now as you bring that up. That's it's beautiful to me that it snapped to my mind that I, I'm having to do an active pull to go in and think of who those people would be and the reasons and the what's and that's a cool that's like that evolutionary sort of thing where I'm just like oh I didn't draw a line in the sand anymore go I am not mad at this 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 and this I just walked past it and if you ask me about it like right now I can talk about it you know why. Because I don't have a hard line in the sand. And tomorrow morning when I wake up, this will just be another thing I don't think about until I think about it again. But not having that that hard edge. And oh my God, if we ever go back there, we're reinventing the trauma. And the blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, man, just don't. Why, why you got to be so definitive? My um, therapist said, the first one of the first questions he asked me goes, he goes, what's the opposite of love? And I go, hate. He goes, no, no. it's indifference. Apathy. It's indifference. Yeah. He was just like... Indifference. Goes, apathy. Yep. He was just like, when you just don't care about something, he goes, when you hate, he goes, hate and love are closely intertwined. He was like, when you just don't care about something and they just don't even affect you, like, he goes, that's the opposite of love. You cannot hate something you do not love. It's impossible. It's impossible. God damn, that's deep. You cannot do it. It's, they are, they are so unbelievably intertwined. And that is, so your therapist, uh, if it helps, is that's right. Uh, <laughs> I think in terms of how I see the world, the minute you stop thinking, processing, making something part of this constant spiral, yeah, that's, that's where you're letting go of all of that attachment bullshit, whatever that psychological fluff is. It's, it's very real. It's we are 
what we constantly think of. We are what we give names to. We are what we give power to. Much less give a fucking anniversary to or uh, oh, anything else. That shit might as well hang its poster on your wall. Uh, the wolf, the the it was a issue of Wolverine where he killed Sabretooth, and the whole thing was you are what I will become. And like uh-huh. you know what I mean. His whole thing was stopping from becoming that one thing. And it was funny because, and you're a comic book guy, and you're you're a fan of comic books. Yeah, this is a comic book podcast. Maybe maybe somewhere in here we'll split. I'm like doing. Oh no, this. Oh, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, So (laughs) let me tell you, um, the comic book podcast that I. Oh god, that one's something completely different. This is this is my fun show. This is the. This is the part. Yeah, and, but and, you're a comic book guy. Uh, you have like, no. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Your conversations. Oh, and we're gonna get into the. We're get. I have a really fun game, and right after we, right after we get into the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Avengers thing, I have a really fun game for you. All right, uh, I got you. I got you. So, but just the idea of like, so and also you're a Game of Thrones guy. Um, all the best characters evolve. They're not the same person. Like what it's like. They're the antithesis of what they are. Everyone uses Batman and, and the Joker. They're closer knit than anyone everyone makes makes them out to be. Um, when I think of the antithesis of two things, I think of um, Wolverine and Sabretooth. It's like their powers are the same, but they are literally opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to who they are, who they want to be. Like right now, Sabretooth is the king of Krakoa hell. Which I think is something he was born to do. It's like he's like if you think of a mutant who should be running hell, it's not it's not it's not sinister. It's fucking Sabretooth. and so yeah. so that's what I, that's how cool that shit is. So like when you talk about things that aren't the same, it's like, like well there are so there are there are there are so from a writing perspective, yeah. which I know some things about. Um, Everything, every good character has an arc. If they, any, even a sub character, even a B character, if you go to your favorite TV show uh, and look at a season, uh, there is a, in a writer's room, there will be a whiteboard. And in that whiteboard will have columns of episodes and columns of characters. And every one of them is a moving chess piece that has to make an arc over the course of a season in some direction or another. But if they end where they began, they're not really characters because everything is evolution. And we, as as consumers, require that pattern to be fulfilled. Yes. This character, if it does this, we're very bored that because we're predictive. We, If I know what you're going to do and you do it, I check out. If your character's on an arc that I'm trying to get ahead of and can't, that's when you're writing good TV. Even when it's not great TV like Ozark, it's still the, the survivability of those character arcs that keeps you in it, the constant yeah. tension that keeps you in it. And it's not the, those are unrealistic human beings doing very dumb things that you wouldn't <laughs> buy in a million years, but they like gears interlock so perfectly that it appeases your your dumb lizard or monkey, whichever one likes patterns in the background. Yeah. So so that's, that's a, uh, you know, get all sidetracked on that. Um, <laughs> we'll save that. We'll the, save that for another fucking episode because I have so many. I didn't. I just finished Game of Thrones. I guess I just started and finished Game of Thrones last year. And when um, the Dragon Queen went crazy, I said, "Why were you guys shocked? We, we saw this shit happen in episode in like season two. You, you, you <laughs> saw what you saw on TV though happened. Like the arc did this. Yeah. And like parabolic, like straight up, not parabolic, but straight up versus what should be a gradual 
thing, and they just TV pacing is different than book pacing. Oh right? God! Yes. So your first three seasons of Game of Thrones happened according to the books. Well, each season was a book, and then when you got to the end of the books, season four into season five ish. It took over TV pacing, where where Martin just said, "Hey, here's what I'm planning to do," and TV writers started writing it. And TV writers don't look at things from the same zoomed out spectrum. They don't look at this as I have a thousand pages to write this. They go, "I got, I got, I got 50 pages an episode. That's what I got, and most of that's dialogue. So, what do we do? We cram it in a different way, and that's why your brain, your breaker trips." when a character evolves that fast. You go, that's where it was going, but not like that. We're not, I'm not mad she got there. I'm mad how she got there. Yeah. It, it's one of the reasons why... Because she spent so goddamn long <laughs> not getting there. Yes. So it, And this is why I'm so fucking worried about the X-Men becoming part of the MCU. Because the X-Men are not made for fucking movies. They're made for TV. The X-Men should be either a cartoon or it should be a Disney Plus show. There's Why do you say that? There's way too much going on person to person for it to work. Um, let's take the first X-Men movie. They rushed so much that like there, there were characters in there that were developed and there was characters that weren't developed. Holly Berry sucked in that. Let's just get that out the way. But she was kind of just there. Like, you know what I mean? But um, uh, but for some reason, Toad had more memorable moments than Storm. Yes. That doesn't make any so, sense. But so you have, you have in these, in these first, I know I asked you what your reason was, but it makes me want to tell you my reason. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to tie into what you're going to want to talk about in a second. And it's anytime you're dealing with a, a, an entity like the X-Men, it's you cannot shine a flashlight on everyone in that film. Absolutely. It's just not doable. There's it's very, very difficult to make Wolverine a focal point and Cyclops a focal point and Professor X a focal point and all these other characters focal points along the way when when our ability to process people and stuff and relationships is limited. Okay. So it's, it's what you had, it's what you got into with a lot of other, it's what I think has gone wrong with so many DC films. Uh, it's what I think Guardians of the Galaxy got right. You gave me five people acting like one person, but play, it was, Guardians of the Galaxy is like watching Inside Out in, in terms Holy of- Holy fuck, that's a good analogy. They're, they're, they're not, it's not everybody, this is why Eternals was so shitty to me. Was all the, the I don't need any overlapping character traits. I need you guys to operate as nodes in a network, and that's what makes group work. It's a it's if you look at Guardians, Gamora was very much the the rational part of it all, making sure that nobody jumped off the cliff. Uh, Chris Pratt is clearly playing the the renegade. Uh, we should always go ten miles faster than we should. Uh, Groot wants to blow shit up. He's he's demolitions, but Drax is giving you this weird. He should be the demolitions guy, and he's giving you this weird Zen-like sense of comedy to it. Yeah. And when you put all that in the gumbo, 
it tickles all the right taste buds. There's never a part of I don't know if you played the Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, see, that's the one I wanted. See, that's what I wanted to talk about: the difference between the game and the, the difference between those two games. Guardians of the Galaxy is a fucking triumph to not yes. just video game but storytelling in general. And as soon what as are I, you do it, you're playing though. You're playing one person. You're I, just controlling one character with all these little nodes in a network. Whereas Avengers, I got 37 different ways <laughs> this shit, dude. I didn't even know she was a person before this game. Now I gotta learn what 7th what, what grade rubber gecko hands do to a window. So, so I'm like, I, and I like I like Kamala Khan. I like Miss Marvel. I didn't that, buy this game to for her to be the lead character. Now, when I found out that... you could I only, liked it. Huh? I did. She was my favorite part of the game. Oh, no, no. She was your favorite part of the game. But I didn't buy the game for that. Now, of course not. I wanted. Of course not. You played the game to be a fucking Avenger. <laughs> you know what? You played the game for the same reason I played the game to be an Avenger. Yes, that was it. I was I it. I pick Thor. I leave him in that stupid costume where his name tag says Blake on it, and I just throw my hammer at shit, and I love it. I heard about Guardians of the Galaxy. You can only use Star-Lord. I said, fuck that. I want to use Rocket. I want to use a giant fucking gun, and I want to do it. Um, buddy of mine was like, hey, it's on sale for place on PlayStation. I bought it. I bought the ex- you know the extra one for extra yeah. 20 bucks. I was like, all right, I'll give this game a shot. And I fell in love. I played the game four times in the first fucking... I beat the game four times in a month because I couldn't get over how well this game was done. And then I thought to myself, now imagine this, but you're but only... Yeah, you're only using Captain America. Or you're only using Thor, only only using Iron Man, but you still get to direct these other characters around. Like at no point in time was I annoyed by Guardians of the Galaxy. No, not only were you not annoyed, you got look, we we play video games because they appease parts of our brain. All they are, all they are is is somebody did a breakdown on it. I think it was Mark Robert on one of his uh, I if you I don't know if you're familiar with Mark Robert. I've heard the name, Robert. but I don't know him. Rober, Rober, maybe is how you pronounce it. He's a former NASA engineer. Uh, he worked on the Mars rover, but he has a YouTube channel that uh, does a lot of everyday physics. He's often been on Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, he's a very, very, very talented scientist, but he's a really good communicator. And at one point, he had a TED Talk. Uh, and his TED Talk, if you go look up Mark Rober's TED Talk, R-O-B-E-R, uh, he talks about, he goes, if I gave you a list of instructions and told you to perform them in order um, at this, you know, uh, accurately. Um, How long before you gave up? And the list of instructions is like, press this button at a certain time, pull this lever at a certain time, rotate this, all these weird little things, do this two times in a row. He gives it to you in this order, and he goes, how long before you just said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done? Um, and then he rotates the whole image and overlays a Nintendo controller and it turns into Super Mario Brothers and you realize that playing Super Mario Brothers is just a matter of pressing the right button for X amount of time and then pressing this button combination and it's just pressing a pattern of buttons but in a way that keeps you engaged. Yeah. I was talking about that. Over and over and over, right? So video games appeal to that part of our brain and a lot of games when you play them they allow you to level up in a visible way Mm -hmm. that character arc we were talking about earlier 
that's not just movies and TV shows. It's everything. As you're, as you're progressing in a game, your character should get stronger in accordance to the, the, the physics of the world. They should be able to do things later on that they couldn't do earlier. And the problem I have with Avengers is just that I don't know how long I played it or where I even am in the game, but I'm pretty sure everybody I've got does the same shit they did when I got them. Yeah. And it just doesn't feel, I don't feel like I've accomplished anything. I just feel like I'm in different places that look the same, fighting people that look the same, that are, I, it, nothing about it moves me versus Guardians. I begin at the beginning, and by the time I get to the end, all, all of my characters have new moves and options, depending on which way I press this. I got four choices, and those things really matter. Like they impact the scenario we're in. Before I that before I make this statement, my, did you finish the game? Oh God, yes. You fought fucking Fin Fang Foom. <laughs> Listen, that is Chase, and I, Chase Russo and I trade games with one another. Uh, he's my dear friend. He's a wonderful comic. He used to tour with Joe Coy. He's now up in New York uh, doing a bunch of all things comedy shows. Uh, he, uh, he's stand up. He's a beautiful, beautiful comic. But he's also a gamer, and he and I will—he'll call me two or three times a week. And go uh, when Guardians came out, uh, we both bought it on the same day. Uh, he got it on his way home from buying his PS5 cocksucker. I still don't have mine. I'm on a four, like, oh. like a chump. Uh, I know, uh, I know. I hate. I just—I'm on the lottery. I was shooting sketches for the Whiskey Brothers on Thursday when the lottery came up. I and, hope they uh, appreciate your um, sacrifice, because. There, there, there is no reason I should have one. <laughs> Brother, I am, I'm going to get one, and I'm not bitter about it. It will come when it comes. It's the most zen thing I can say. Uh, so I, I, I got this, and he got that, and we played side-by-side side racing towards the end, and we made different decisions, and his ending was a little bit different than mine, but Fin Fang Foom has been teased to me in so many instances <laughs> on screen of some sort, from, from Times Square billboards to whatever else, that I was so happy to just kick his ass. Was it, it didn't it feel great? Good. Oh, so good. So that's the best. The writing on that game is better than the gameplay, and that is oh, a yeah. strong statement. Someone said to me when I before I bought the game, the the excuse me, the selling point to me was he goes, it's like watching a movie. Yes. And I was like that, and I was like, yeah, and I watched it. I'm like, this is fucking amazing, and so. One of my favorite moments of the game is where you jump and you grab your Walkman, and he just and it's like this whole '80s theme. And I'm and I am I paused it and laughed hysterically. My wife was like, "What happened?" And I unpaused it, and she laughed too. And she goes, "That was so." And Gamora just puts her. And again, to your point, character development and, per, and knowing your personality. She just, it was simply subtle. And your she writers put, understanding the character. Yes, like she, the the. Drax is written, all, I, and it, I would say better because I'm a I'm a gun fan. I am a I, I a peacemaker to Guardians. I am that, a, that movie had no, that show had no business being a ten. That show had no business. <laughs> that show had no business being a fucking being perfect at all. It, it, it's it's so <laughs> remarkable how my my only you talking about peacemaker? Yes, nine point nine, and I'm gonna tell you why. 9.8. Oh. I might even drop it to a 9.5. I'm listening. And I am as I am as big of a, a of a James Gunn fan as you can get. Okay. Mm-hmm. But every character in there, because every episode or most of them are written by him, 
they all have the same base sense of humor. And it is, it is the only thing that takes me out of it is that there are, there are only a handful of formulas to jokes, okay? There's only a certain handful of types you could really get to from, I'm going to get into the math of comedy. But comedy archetypes are, are, there is no Hannibal Burris in that show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody's a little sarcastically sharp. Yes. And not everyone can be. And I mean everyone, from Harcourt to Peacemaker to Vigilante to the uh, to the, the the black dude with the butterfly in his head. Uh, <laughs> I love that guy. To 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 um, to what's her name's daughter. To I mean, you every character in there, including the villain, shared the exact. same same level of sarcastic jab. I will I will disagree because the only thing I will say is the dude who was the um who had the butterfly in him and him and he may have been the only person who had a different kind him it was still sarcastic, but it seemed drier. It seemed it, nope. it, it but worked. degrees of the same uh, again, octaves of the same note. Yeah, whatever the, I, neither one of us knows music, so I can't really I don't even know that we're saying <laughs> the right thing the whole time. But yeah, it's like a doorbell, but louder or, or softer. Like I, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's so. It, you know what? That's it. It's softer. That's all it was. It was just softer. It's the same sarcastic, yeah. and that's literally that's me. If I'm picking that apart, and I'm saying this is somebody who only writes one type of comedy for himself. I like. I get it. If I wrote Peacemaker, it would it would sound a lot like me, except just different colors or shapes or people I'm a, so but that's nitpicky in yeah. that i know you can do it differently and i'm frustrated by the people who can do that differently because there are people like josh whedon and that definitely shouldn't be the case i'm nine side roads away from the freeway um bring us back to home so uh, before i get into my to my to my next thing it disappoints me how much of a dickhead he is uh <laughs> i know he wrote one of my favorite x-men runs ever and he's just such a fucking Yep. All right. So I have a I have a game. It's called You Can Get With This or You Can Get With That. So okay. considering uh, uh, you are uh, you are what Tim Meadows would call a ladies' man. Um, <laughs> oh, he's talking about two year ago. Me too. No. This will be fun. So we're playing. So basically, what we're doing is I picked uh, two women. They're either or, but there's a list of them. So. These, some of them are fictional, some of them are real. Okay. Now, the um, options are you can only have sex with one of these women. All right. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So we have nine. Ah, I didn't do an even ten. So we have nine. Um, you can get with this or this get, get with that. Are you ready? Uh-huh. So mind you, when I start this, this is them in their prime. All right. Christina Applegate or Sarah Chalk? Oh. Uh, Sarah Chalk, one hundred percent, and uh, Sarah Chalk from from Roseanne. Sarah Chalk. That's what, that's the. You didn't even go Scrubs. You went you. So Scrubs, but hear me out. Hear me out. Scrubs is the one that I would obviously want to be with now, right? Yeah. Like, can I? Still, can we still together? But Sarah Chalk, Roseanne era was the one that I had a crush on because I think she and I are like the same age. So when I found that show, 
she was just like celebrity hot girl. Uh, for me, does that make sense? It does. It's a we had. I can tell you who else was in that school. Uh, if you have, um, oh, what is the girl's name? Uh, Melissa Joan Hart on that list. She was Clarissa. Explains it all. I'm not even going to mention the title. The, the title. The guy she uh, had did for that with her. <laughs> she was also my crush. Uh, so um, Christina Applegate um, was actually my. Um, I don't want to say it online. Um, so, but like, Christina, <laughs> <laughs> it's sad that I know that and I remember it. But, um, but Christina Applegate, um, Kelly Bunny was my first celebrity crush. Um, Bro, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to tell you she's not like my. Go- I mean, that is a. I get it. Um, but boy, she's still attractive no, now I, because of <laughs> Sarah Chalk. Yeah. So, uh, Jessica Biel or Jessica Alba. Okay, here's the problem. This is where we're going to get into trouble. Um, Because I am only somewhat pop-culturally literate, so I'm going to guess that I know the difference between the two. One of them was in Fantastic Four, and one of them was in Boba Fett, right? No. Or were they both? Is that the same girl? No, Jessica Jessica Alba was... Which one got herpes from from the kid in uh, NSYNC? That's literally, I don't know anything about... All right, so Jessica Biel was in Blade Trinity, and Jessica Alba was in the Fantastic Four. Okay, so Alba. And Jessica Alba was... Which one's at Boba Fett? Is that Biel? I haven't started Boba Fett yet. Okay, that's that's Biel. It's 100% Biel. I'm an Alba guy. Um, Harley Quinn or Elektra? Oh, Harley Quinn. And here's why. Because I think I could fix her. And I don't say that in a bad way. Like, I... She's... Time out, time out, time out. <laughs> no, I'm not letting that go. You talk about your the seven-year relationship and you said you could fix Harley Quinn. <laughs> I'm not letting that go. I am not letting that go. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay. You know the character's supposed to arc. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Go. <clears throat> what the plateau looks like. I have. I, I. can't get the. We're trying to. We're trying to get uh, exit velocity. Oh God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, so you. That's a, but also Electra scares me a little more than I know. I know Harley Quinn. You know what I mean? I don't know Electra. Electra kills you in your sleep. Harley Quinn wakes you up before she kills you, and I know how to defend against that. Um, I have. I'm, I'm actually adding a question. Um, I'll fix this. I'll fix this in post, or I won't. Um, actually, no. So, so you're gonna go Harley Quinn? How do you fix Harley Quinn? Just, just out of curiosity. <sighs> you don't. You don't. She's she's got to hit rock bottom on her own. Let's be perfectly honest. <laughs> uh, can I tell you how? Can I tell you how happy I am that that my Harley Quinn got fixed when uh, I left her alone for about five years and she stumbled into the right guy and got her shit together so I really I don't know yeah and she's got a kid and she's doing amazing and it's a uh, it's it's weirdly cool like my mom is still friends with her on Facebook so I weirdly see <laughs> stuff but the the uh, yeah sometimes Harley Quinn just wakes the fuck up you know I'm glad that like again you talk about the character story arcs she left the Joker and then became this incredible character. And then the Injustice comic book came out, and she became close to perfect. Unfortunately, it's not the same universe, but you get it. Um, Jean Grey or Emma Frost? Okay, so... God dog it. If only Emma Frost looked like Jean Grey. 
Can I tell you that I think Emma Frost is probably horrible in bed? Yes, but not <laughs> if she looked like Jean Grey. Jean Grey looks like she fucks. Like she... Yes, but Jean Grey looks like she's also Jean Grey. There's a lot of... Emma Frost does... I, I, I'm weirdly less... There's... These aren't just purely physical questions. <laughs> if these if these are if I'm only basing this on a comic book panel with no dialogue, but I don't get that luxury. So these are these are either ors that I gotta I gotta pick and choose and defend. And I feel like if I was gonna have to defend myself against either one of those girls, I would rather it be Emma Frost. Uh just eh, yeah. you know, I, how many times are we gonna have to watch uh, Jane Grey ruin a movie? So I, I just I'm She's hotter, though. That's my point. <laughs> it's funny, because as I'm writing this, I'm like, the slate hand picked the redhead or the blonde. Um, <laughs> it, I, I, bro, I'm tricky. It's usually blonde. I, that's what I thought. I was, I was like, he's going to go Emma Frost. But, so, funny thing about this is, I know you're not caught up on X-Men, but do you know about their move to Krakoa and, like, their whole island nation? So, a little bit, you mentioned the uh, saber tooth thing earlier, and you'd give me a quick debriefing, and I'd be all caught up. Um, hold on. So, there's um. So I'm gonna get into that. We'll get into the later. So, Black Canary or Catwoman? Woo! Definitely Black Canary. I I kind of saw that coming, but I was 100%. like, originally it was Catwoman or Jean Grey, but I was just like, uh, I I kind of figured you'd go Catwoman just because Catwoman's not a fucking telepath. Yeah, no, yeah, hundred percent. That's a, I I always like I said, Emma Frost who looks like Jean Grey. I just don't need you to know what I'm thinking, and uh, I also don't need Catwoman to know where I live. So that's a tough call. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're making me pick between those two, uh, Black Canary for sure. All right. Uh, Salma Hayek or Holly Berry? Ooh, hang on. Man, you're going to have to get a little more. Do I get, it depends on the versus, versus. you know what I mean? If it's, if it's Catwoman versus the Bodyguards <laughs> Hitman 2 or whatever that is, or if it's, or if it's, <laughs> or or are we gonna? Br- oh shit! I just unplugged my light. Or are we gonna bring into the? Uh, you know what? I, I got you. We'll do. Um, or do I get swordfish versus? Uh, uh, give me another Salma Hayek that I. No, I'm gonna. I got you. I got. I got you now. We're gonna do the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard or the sequel, or Holly Berry from John Wick Three. Oh, damn! Because. I'm not Holly Berry. Here's the thing: I know exactly how crazy Salma Hayek is in that movie, so I'm just gonna go with anything that's not her in that movie. Um, and you could say Sylvester Stallone and Cobra, and I think I would, I would probably <laughs> at least have to think about it. Can we revisit? <laughs> but at least, at least, okay. But at least with Selma Hayek, she's only crazy when you're like cheating or. Or there, <laughs> or in the scene, <laughs> or present. But uh, all right, all right, okay. Hold on, hold on. Let me. Let me oh, imagine this. Imagine. Wait, what's your next question? Salma Hayek or Jean Grey, but only her telepathy. <laughs> what's the question? So um, okay, so imagine you're Slade five years ago, right? Still bar hopping. Yeah, I know. Do you still not pick Salma Hayek? Again, five years ago depends on the night. Depends on yeah. it depends on who's who's answered my text messages in line at Whataburger. That's what I mean. You, there's so many variables in that conversation. 
This conversation is happening in a vacuum. I just get to pick. That's true. Uh, this one may still not Selma Hayek in that stupid movie. You know, I'm gonna that movie, but not her. Uh, uh, I'm gonna save this. I'm gonna save this next one for last. Uh, Rosario Dawson or Scarlett Johansson? Oh, <gasps> it's 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 a that's that's so tough. That's the you showed me both doors. That's a that's not fair. That's a I would have 100 percent gone if you'd said Rosario Dawson versus X. I would have taken Rosario Dawson always, except versus Scarlett Johansson. Really. And, Yes, she is a very special kind of weakness for me, um, from from a number of movies. But as Black Widow, uh, I, I, yeah, you I, it, yeah, I'm a child. I'm a child, and she was wearing leather. And, uh, I really have no it, argument there. So for me, it was Rosario Dawson did a. She was on Conan O'Brien late one night. And she was talking about stealing, uh, and about talking about bootleg DVDs, and I was in love. I was like, "All right, well, you got me." Uh, this one's gonna be weird, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Lisa Bonet or Zoe Kravitz? Oh, ah, uh, uh, oh, ah. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, again, I'm not restricted to time, right? Nope, it's it's it's, it's, it's it's them in what you consider their prime. Yeah, this is Lisa Bonet, and I'm sorry, this is Lisa Bonet, and that is a, that is, I am fully acknowledging that I am wrong when I say that. Well, uh, uh, it is Lisa Bonet, and it is, you know, the era. I was, I was, Cosby wasn't in jail, uh, nor did we know. There was a nice little dance in the music and the stuff, and occasionally she came down those stairs, and dear, sweet baby Jesus. Or she like just walk into the walk into the like the kitchen with her with her fucking like shoulders and shimmy and I'm like oh dear God. bro that that different world era was such a I can't explain it to you it's a it was so free you, it, it, and she was really so was. she was so nineties mixed is the only way I know how to put it like it was that perfect just kind of light skinned attitude. Yeah, and, it, and the funny thing about it was she was probably the strongest of their kids, the one who kind of just like I'm gonna do what the fuck I want, and but it I'm just, also, but I'm also gonna be the kid you never have to worry about. That era, man. That but, era. Don't. I would have fallen in love with just about anything that was in that era. Well, it's funny you say that because our last of this is Amy Fisher or Alyssa Milano. <laughs> Alyssa Milano, bro. Oh, I, uh, I thought I had you. I thought I had you. Absolutely. I thought but I had boy, you with player. You gotta get. You gotta get a sweet spot between. Again, she's another one who was sort of in uh, her and Stacey Keenan, and I'm trying to think of who else was in that era that was a teen uh, TV star, right? Yeah. And she was. She was mine. We were. She was just a little bit older than me. I was just a huh, little quivery lip oh, uh, yeah. through Who's the Boss and then into whatever else she did. And then I remember her later on, Charmed or whether it's Dumb Witch Show or the, I didn't even know what Dumb Witch And then she, she randomly did. did. She was always Who's the Boss to me. And then she randomly and was nude and stuff and the Google came out. And we... <laughs> there, was a, there was a, no, she did, she did Playboy or, she did one of the magazines back in the day. All I know uh, is I seen her titties and I was happy. <laughs> yes, and I was too. But you had to find, bro. You had to find them. You had to like go get a 
hard copy of them. There was no, hey man, just send me those. There was no fappening. There was no just discovering them or Googling them. Like it was a full blown scavenger hunt to get an actual. So yep. yeah, I, I, yeah, Alyssa Milano for sure. All right. So that, so lastly, and this one is, <laughs> I can't wait to hear your reaction. You have to kill Screech. <laughs> I did. <I'm> <laughs> and you need an assassin. What combo character do you pick as an assassin to kill Screech? Oh, this is tough. Uh, Cancer Man. Uh, <laughs> I don't no, know if I need right. to. I don't know if I need to edit that out or not. No, don't edit it out. It'd be a superhero named Karma. <laughs> So okay, I don't. I, this, again, this brings up my. This brings up. This drags my inner devils to the to the shoreline for the fucking beach party. Oh god. But, um, this... right. but I don't mind. Again, it's a. It's a. Hang on. Let me tell. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell you exactly why. Uh, where is that stupid thing at? Did I put it in a box? I, 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 I'm gonna say because I've heard three legged unicorn. So. so. No, no, it, no, there's a. There's a. It's there's a frame dollar. Dollar bill somewhere. Oh, right. the one that he refuses to. Uh... He, so he, so childish. The, so so I, okay. The, the show's for context. Aside... I'll give you the here's the nutshell version of everything uh, up until now, and then I'll answer your question. But the, and, and many 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 years ago, I got there's a chapter in my book about this, and uh, I've told it on many other podcasts. But the and there's a there's a, uh, a story on uh, my album Redemption that talks about this we we worked together in Shreveport Louisiana uh, he was a horrible comic he had just moved from television to stand up he'd been doing stand up not long at all and he, <laughs> he still didn't, he didn't do it after <laughs> no well yeah he did for a while and then he stopped it's a a lot of people moonlight at it it's a, everybody thinks this is the thing you could just come do and you cannot so he comes over he does Shreveport I get called in to feature for him he is dying on stage. He's having a horrible time, and I'm a really I'm, I'm a young comic, but I'm a I'm a good comic at the time, and that's that's the only way I know how to say it. I'm not doing badly in a southern town, and he is doing very very poorly after me. And by Friday night, they're trying to get me fired, and they go, "Well, oh, Slate is stealing Dustin's jokes. Here's the joke." And Dustin is a was a a prolific joke thief. He'd stolen from comics. You, everybody from Kennison to names you wouldn't recognize but should, like Keith Alberstadt. Uh, he just—that's what he did. He took from because he didn't understand the the sacredness of any of this. So that weekend, their job was to get me fired, and they just thought theft accusation was the way to do it. And the club stood behind me, and they ended up quitting in the middle of shows on Friday night, and they walk out of the room. So this starts a feud that goes on for more than a decade until he died. Uh, that was in 2005. He and I would never be in the same place at the same time, but if I knew he was going to be somewhere, I would tell fans to go there. And I would just say, hey, just say Slade says hi. <coughs> and there were there were so many videos that would get sent of, you know, hey, I'm a really big fan, and the hand would go out to get shaken. By the way, Slade says hi, and then the face going flush. And I would giggle and it was, it was, and then he would tweet, this would just go back and forth. And there was a club in Colorado where we would, instead of signing the green room wall or the club headshots, 
they would have you sign like a dollar bill and then they'd tack it to the wall and the whole wall was covered in dollars signed by comics. And so I would get there every April and he would get there every, every March. And so in April I would sign a dollar. Hey, loonies, love you. Good to be here. I'd stick it to the wall. And then he would get there in March and he would take my dollar off the wall and he would write, die, Slade, hack. And then he would stick that to the wall where my dollar used to be. And when I get there three weeks later, I would see this childish thing he did. Then I would take it down and I would write, Dustin Diamond sucks cocks in hell. And I would stick it where that dollar was. And it would stay for 11 months and a week. And then he would take it down for three weeks. And then I would replace it. This went on for years. And it was, it, it might have even been playful at a certain point. I just. I was know, just thinking that. I kind of felt like, I kind of feel like after a certain time, Except the, the the amount of people who told me that once the camera was off or once they were, you told that motherfucker, like it was never polite. And I know the night that we worked together, he was an absolute horrid, horrid human being. So I just know that when whatever it transpired and he's gone, I just took the dollar that said die slayed and I framed it and wrote outlast. And that was all it said was just like a nice little reminder to myself to just outlast whatever, whatever's, whatever's pushing at your buttons. And then I framed it and I threw it in a box. I don't even know where it's at because I haven't thought about this. I've tried to let go of my, <laughs> my so, stupid little uh, grudges. Um, I have one I have one question. I want to know if you can tell the story or not. Um, <laughs> you're going to look at me differently. We all have that one song. Or that but one... Wolverine, so he cuts his head off cleanly, and it just happens in a second. I don't have to spend that many that long hanging out with Dustin Diamond. I kind of figured you'd pick Deadpool just because he would torment him for days. On end. He would <laughs> no, torment him for days on so move on. days on end. Um, <laughs> can you? I, I, I'm not sure if this was in your book or if this was in your stand up, but there was a story about the lead singer of Creed. <laughs> Do you mind telling that story real quick? Because it's we were <laughs> so, and let me just say, in this, I'm, I'm, I am both ashamed and not ashamed of this. My sacrifice, my sacrifice is a great fucking song. <laughs> I, look, when when my own prison came out and that first album came out, uh, I was a I was a Creed fan. Uh, I remain to this day. It's funny what you talk about on stage versus what what really comes out in real life because. I'm a tremendous uh, Tremonti fan, uh, the guitarist. Okay. His, he went on to play with uh, Alter Bridge and uh, his own band, Tremonti, and he's he's fantastic. Miles Kennedy sang for them for a while. Creed as a band was a really good musical outfit. I just, Scott Stapp was kind of preachy and it got a little too close to church rock and just kind of... I checked out after a surf. All right, now you're singing about having babies and the rain falling and the. I just I like a little more. I just, uh, I like my metal to be a little more pop, like the potential to cut me. I, I need some some teeth to my metal. This is just you need not even you rock. need you need this metal to you need metal to be fucking the metal. Blowfish. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, which I also liked at one point. But the point is. That's a, so I made fun of Creed, and then in 2006 or six or eight, we were in Iraq, and we were on tour, and the USO had sent uh, 
Scott Stapp out solo, or I don't know what the, the whole context of it was. But when we got to Kuwait, they were all going, I hope you guys are better than that last group of people who just came through. They were all, man, high maintenance and blah. I'm like, we're not. There's no maintenance. We're just comics. We didn't even bring microphones. Like, if they ain't got <laughs> microphones where we're going, we're just yelling. So nothing to worry about here. Like, all right, because they were like, man, he couldn't. His guitar was left out in the sun and the blood. They started giving us all. He just was, apparently he was complaining about everything there was to complain about, and they sent him home uh, and wouldn't let him go. They were like, "If you can't cut it in Kuwait without complaining, then we're not going to let you go to Iraq." Now, I don't know. I, you know, I wasn't there. I can only tell you what they told me. I don't yeah. know if they went to Iraq or not, I but I do just... know that that would have been the way they told it. I go, the easiest way to end the war, if you just set up a big speaker system. And let him oh. go into the chorus of when arms wide open and just, just play that on repeat. The terrorists would have killed themselves. That's the just go, la, 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 la. <sighs> The war would have been over, would have been home by 2010. None of this would be happening in Russia. What? I forget. Um, who's the dude who sings What's New Pussycat? Uh, Tom Jones? So, um, Tom. I could be making that up. No, I think it is Tom Look, Jones. Google that. I'm looking at it now. So Tom Jones. Hey Google, who sings "What's New Pussycat"? Tom Jones. Yeah. Okay, so I, so Tom Jones apparently ended a protest. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, so uh, so people listening, give us a Google. Uh, someone played Tom Jones over a loudspeaker and it ended a protest. It's the funniest fucking thing I've heard in a very long time. <laughs> So, um, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Old Man Wade Show. I want to thank Slade for doing this. I thought it was only going to be an hour. Apparently, we have been doing this for over an hour and 48 minutes. This is fucking awesome. Um, and just to uh, reiterate everything that we talked about, I remember the first time we did a podcast together. And I hated myself for being such a fanboy. Because I was, because <laughs> I was like, this is fucking Slade Ham. This is like, you know, it's a guy I really admire. And like, I remember just being like this giggly kid. And then the next time, I was like, it was a little bit different. And uh-huh. this time, it was in just the evolution of being just a host. This is the this is one of the times where I love interviewing people or just talking to people and letting them talk, because it's the it is literally the easiest thing in the world when you're hosting. You just let a person talk. And I learned, a, and again, from over over a thousand hours, because if you think about the, the live podcast and the times you guys have gone over an hour, over a half hour, you've, gone, you've done over a thousand hours of podcasting, and this is still, for me, just so, so much to learn about you as a person, you as a podcast, you as a comedian, you as a world traveler. And I think you as a world traveler, traveler is one of the dopest fucking things ever, because you don't just... You don't just do the touristy things. You don't stay at resorts. You go and do hikes. You go and do mountains. Um, the running joke that like you'll have like these random random pictures of you like staring off into the sunset, and it's like just guy things. But it's like but people like and it's funny because people do that and they don't really get it. Now, I say that I have a fantastic story for you that I've told on this podcast, um, but it's a tribute to my wife. I'm very much like, I'm scared to do a lot of things. I don't like heights. I don't like fire. I don't do water. I, I, and like, I, I would be like, I'm the worst. <laughs> but, totally fair. But my wife gets me out of my shell to do a lot of things. So we went to Mexico, and on this particular uh, excursion, we went to uh, Machu Picchu, and then there was this random man. It was a, a, not a sinkhole, but it's a cave, and it's just like. Oh, a cenote, yeah. Yeah. So, it, so, okay, so you know it. So there's two levels to the dive. 
So. Oh, were you at Shellha? Possibly. Did y'all go to, so hang on. If you got, did y'all go to Tulum? Is that what, anyway, there's a, there's a, I was in, there's a stretch in Kosovo. There's a, there's a, it doesn't matter. There's a thousand places to jump off stuff. In so we, we were Mex- we were Mexico and we were from Mexico and it was a, shit, a three hour jump. And now, and I've told the story on the show, but I tried not to eat anything because my stomach is weak. I figured bologna sandwich and ginger ale for breakfast should be the easiest thing that's going to make, make sure I don't shit. Mm-hmm. I had to shit so bad for two hours I was sweating. And it just so happens that the couple next to us saw this and felt sympathetic. And they was like, is there anything we can do? I said, can you stop this bus so I can shit? Otherwise, then no. <laughs> but, like, it, we developed this really fun relationship with them. Like, and I, I hate that we don't have their number after this because it was like... But anyway, so my wife was like, oh, I'm going to go dive off the cliff. You can do it. I go, fuck that. I'm not diving off a cliff. She goes, you have a life jacket. I said, I'm the dumbass who will drive and drown in a life jacket and everyone will think, <laughs> and everyone will think it's an Onion News article. She goes, well, I'm going to dive. I said, you have fun with that. So I'm like literally climbing, like clinging to the rocks like fucking Spider-Man in the water to go sit with the couple we were hanging out with. And I'm sitting on the rock. I'm chilling. And, and so they go, oh, your wife's up there. So I wave at her. I turn around to talk. I hear, Smash! Oh! And I go, was that my wife? <laughs> and they go, yeah. And so I look over at her, and like, so all the air is knocked out of her. So she had it right. She crossed her legs, crossed her arms, but then freaked out. Oh man! So she has all the wind knocked out of her, and I, I have a death fear of water, of like deep water, and so. I'm hanging on the rock as she's swimming. And I'm like, grab my hand. And then so we get, so she eventually swims over because she's a strong swimmer. And she looks at me and goes, use my strong hand. (laughs) (laughs) She never lets me live that down. She goes, she goes, I couldn't swim. I said, I was like, we would both would have drowned that day. (laughs) But... (laughs) But it just, but, uh, but again, like the idea of like the fact that like, you don't do the thing like you like you would go on that you'd rent you you would rent a truck or rent a car and you would do that excursion on your own. Well, yeah. So this this comes back to what we talked about at the very beginning of all of this and the why I traveled in the first place and the why I do any of this in the first place and it's because we are. I don't. I know what it's like to be stuck in my little limited worldview. I. It's like remembering. The, the, the room you grew up in or something where you just go, oh, I, I can't not know that little, I can't unknow that tiny space I used to live in when the whole universe was just Southeast Texas. So now every time I get out into something, and this is uh, from Ethiopia and being down in the forest outside of Arba Mitch or being in Japan and the, the islands of uh, off the coast, uh, so it's like regardless of where you go in the world, there's these totally separate ways of viewing shit, right? That's so different from going to Nampa, Idaho or something where everybody's got a bunker or a, whatever. I don't know how those people live. But the all these dumb little worldviews that everybody thinks are right, I just like to go experience them. I like to go stand there next to you and just go, oh, what does this thing we're all looking at look like from here? Yeah. And that, to me, requires me to jump off of a lot of uncomfortable things 
to walk through a lot of uncomfortable grounds, to go into places where I, I might not be that safe, but I'm also, the, the, the curiosity in me wants to know what's on the other side of the door. And if you let those two tussle, I'm going to go through the door uh, because I found nothing but reward in, in exploring that. That's all these different ways of seeing stuff so when something happens on the news or we're at war in, 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 in the Ukraine or we're, we're in war in the Middle East or wherever else, I've kind of just, I can, I'm able to sit back and go, you know what? I can feel this from either side. Yeah. I know what these people over here are defending and why they're angry. And I know certainly as an American or as a, from this vantage point what we're doing and when you can kind of feel all of that, you don't feel as quick to run over to one side or the other, and you're able to stand back a little bit. And for me, as a guy who makes his living commenting on and just being the dude who shines the flashlight, uh, it's way better for me, of, me to be a spectator than it is for me to be a participant in the fight. So the more of these places I can go and get a a basic understanding of okay well wow that's another way to see the world if i can if i can shove all those in my arsenal then i'm free to talk about it and i'm free to lead conversations between people who maybe don't know how to talk to one another because i've been to some places where they talk differently and that's that's what keeps me moving is just like oh wow there's different ways to do this like bill hicks would have said this fucking ride are you serious there's this is one way. I picked one. It took me to stand up, and I've spent most of it uh, using Texas as a hub to go experience other ways of seeing the world. I don't know that stand-up's what I'm going to do forever. I think it is, but I don't know. I can't speak for future me. You just get this me, same way you got me two or three years ago, and when we do this again, you can get another version of me who probably thought this me was absolutely out of his mind. So <laughs> That's, Yeah. Um, so before we go, tell everyone where they can find you. Tell them about so, just because just because I actually have it up here now, uh, go to YouTube, type in the Whiskey Brothers into the search engine. It'll be um, you can hit the subscribe button, and right next to it, you can tell us them. It's a picture of four shot glasses that are laying down. So it's red, and I think the shot which glass. somebody just said looks like the uh, the logo for the uh, oh what the League of Shadows maybe. Uh, it looks like a DC logo. Uh, Google the League of Shadows logo and tell me if we're close. They just posted this on our uh, Facebook page the other day. It might not be, but there's a there's a snowflake-esque looking uh, geometric design that matches our logo just a little bit. Uh, nevertheless, I'm, uh, I'm easy to find. I'm at Slade Ham, S-L-A-D-E-H-A-M on everything. So... Yep. Uh, you can go find me. I've got some really cool stuff on my own YouTube page, but really the Whiskey Brothers is, is my passion project for 11 years, and it's just always been the sidecar to my motorcycle, and I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. My focus is on my book and my stand-up and the special I'm putting out this year, but mainly I'm trying to do the Andy Huggins thing, and I'm enjoying producing some stuff and staying behind the microphone of the podcast, so just go follow that stuff, and I'll be happy. Um, also, you guys have Is This Thing On? Mm -hmm. Another another project. Uh, I'm trying to showcase some local Houston talent. 
and the easiest way for me is to give them a show with some written prompts and we treat it like the writer's room and then uh, we sort of improv with one another but with written punchline. It's very similar to whose line is it anyway if stand-ups did it instead of uh, actors because they're, they're as prompted ahead of time as we are. It's all still improvisational but everyone has an idea of the direction we're going and these guys just happen to work in joke form so it works at a table with microphones. Uh, I'm, I'm surrounded by people who are funnier than I am and I just get to host a bunch of shows and that may, I'm good at that part. So I get my punches. But I also, that, uh, that should also be acknowledged because some people will take that as um, intimidation or they may take it as jealousy as opposed to someone who has, who understands how things work. And it's just like, and, and you know what's funny? They may say you're funnier than them, but you don't take that as a, as a situation where it's like, well, they're better than me. They're funnier than me. So I shouldn't promote them. You're like, no, like I'm going to continue well, to, to do that. Here's, here's why I say that too, though. And it's not a, it, it sounds humble, but it's also not. Uh, I know if I was in their position, I would be the funny guy and they would be the pilot. Like it's a, there are roles on a, on a, on a uh, spaceship, I guess, yeah. for all intents and purposes. You know what I mean? So yeah. if, if I'm flying it, I don't have the mental bandwidth to also be the funniest guy on the podcast. You're Captain Picard. I get a lot of punches in. I don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not a sleeper. But it's the these guys are the gunners, and I'm a bit more of the pilot. Dude, you're you're Captain Picard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Who does not press the button to fire? But but and like he gives the order. Yeah, it's like you're Captain Picard, and like sometimes. And I feel like Rob Mungle was Jameson Earl Grey hot. <laughs> um, so clear. But like, it's just funny because like, there's been so many renditions of Star of Star Trek, even though you're a Star Wars guy. But like, there's been so many. I'm a, rendi- I'm a, I'm a, I will talk next generation with you till you're blue in the face. I have. Be- I need to start that. I it, if you I haven't rem- watched it. It's a. It's one of the most rem- Star Trek will always be, and I I used to. Is, again, I'll sidebar for two seconds. I'll give you your show back. But it's a... Oh, no, no, no. To, You're the guest. So you when do. When it comes to Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry's ability to give you challenging moral issues. It wasn't just about... Everybody focuses on Star Trek because it was a... It was like the really liberal, open-minded, uh, safe space for everything. It dealt with these issues before. Oh, welcome every... It's, Star Trek is, is from the very beginning. Captain Picard is banging green women. It was a, it was speaking to uh, social issues from day one. But it's at its best when it challenges you to, to to real moral dilemmas. And I watched, even if you go to, I didn't think if I, if you asked me in retrospect, generation next generation was the best one. Deep Space Nine got a little dark. It was amazing. But by the time they got the Voyager, they were so far off the mark it was just a parody of itself but the truth is even voyager with seven of nine and a bunch of stuff they've always dealt with these heavy moral issues uh in next generation the uh the episode where they're talking it's in how they ended up with this show picard that's on now the moral dilemma of whether or not data was human uh i think the episode was called a measure of a man i shouldn't know all this that's wow deep nerd (laughs) shit but the, they would go into, I mean, and by the end of the episode, someone would have made a decision. Seven of Nine had to do it with these Borg uh, off th- that they had found on this planet, and she had to figure out whether or not 
she was going to send them back to the collective where they'd never be free to, to live out for however long or remove the stuff and they were just going to die in a month, but they'd have a month to live. And it's the old, uh, which, you know, the railroad switch dilemma. Do you, which, which way are you going to send the car to kill the, the two kids or the one old person or whatever the math is. Yeah. But the, when you get into those kinds of things, you don't leave with conclusion. Even they made a decision that you probably wouldn't agree with. And that was always what was so cool. Not probably, but might not agree with. They probably made what they thought, according to their character, was the right moral decision. But that wasn't the same for in Next Generation. Riker and Picard didn't make the same decisions. Data, with no emotional attachment at all, certainly made different decisions. So as you just get into all that nuance, it was really interesting to have whatever your beliefs were challenged a little bit without them ever being in jeopardy. You just got to see like the best version of what if, which is the thought experiment we never do with ourselves, right? I love going down roads of what if I believed this way? Like it's people don't do that at all. Uh, what uh, if I, I do what it, if I, I do it too of, much. <laughs> do what? I do it too much. Like the idea of I've always been fascinated by the um, butterfly effect. I heard about oh. the butterfly effect fairly young. And it always intrigued me about what would have happened if you go left instead of going right. Or what if I would have picked up... Like, everyone looks at me and assumed I played football. I go, no, nah, I, I was a fucking skinny jack kid. I played basketball all my, all my fucking life. But it was like, it's like, what if I would have played football? What if I would have... What if I, I would have... It's, it's an old joke in a set, but I used to go, I go, I don't have any kids now, but I think about the girl I was madly in love with in high school, right? What would have happened if she had known I existed? Like, how... <laughs> And then that's the, <laughs> but yeah, and, that's and he, the turn to the joke. But the, yeah. yes, it's the exact thing. You do play that what if game because I, you know, I think about her. She's, she's, we had, she did not know I existed, but she's got like six kids or something now. And I just, you go, oh God, I would have been working at the plant in Southeast Texas, raising six kids and feeding those mouths. And I'd have just only known her. And, ah. <laughs> and it's, so here's the funny thing. So I always think that, so I was at a job that I, I detested for 15 years. I made a lot of really good relationships, where, whether it be working at a bar. Um, I bounced at a bar for a year. Um, I, met a couple, I met, met a few like local and like you know super celebrities, if you want to call them that or whatever. Um, so it was cool for a while. And it's, the connection that I had at my job is how I met my wife. Now... What happens if I decided to not work at that job? What happens if I decided to do this? And and then the idea of what happens is because like um, people ask me my religious uh, standpoint, I go I'm agnostic as fuck. I don't know what the fuck is going on. And but I always think, but there are certain things that I think may be destiny. I always think that it's destiny for me to meet my wife. So like uh, the Deadpool quote, her crazy matches my crazy. Like it works out fucking perfectly. Like I hit rock fucking bottom, she picked my ass back up. Um, when she's struggling, I'm struggling. It just works out that way. So I wonder, hey, what if some way, shape, or form in every fucking reality we meet each other, but it's a different me? Like, what if it's me who who doesn't have this ridiculous Bruce Willis haircut thing going on? And, like, you know what I mean? And I got, I got locks like fucking Sam. And she's emo punk singing with fucking... Um, Britney Spears and you know what I mean so it's cut so mm. these things these are the kind of one of the things I think in my head like what if I would have started the job that I'm at now 
earlier. Like, you know what I mean? A job that I so, love. But, there, there's a, but each, here's the thing about that, is that each one of those comes from the root of you. Yeah. So you can only get... Here's what, what we do. What we do as people a lot. What I do as a person. I, I always try to generalize this because it makes me feel better about myself. I have no idea if any of this is generalized at all. But what I try to do is is not start at the root of me with every time I try to experiment mentally or hypothetically with a belief system. Like, what if? Because we, I, us, me, uh, tend to work in terms of, this is why you hear often, people, I can't believe someone would think like that. Because we operate uh, in, in a gradient. Everything to get from here to here, it's connectivity. Our, yes. our minds stitch scenes together all the time. The input coming in, in terms of photons being received, is utter chaos. You have mechanisms and, and spigots in place, to valves that, 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 that turn all that down and make sure that what gets in is manageable. And then it stitches it together in a way that you can process it and make a decision. Yeah. And be that's because if you, it's the same way if you watch, if you go jogging and you're holding your cell phone up while you jog, the footage that you get from that cell phone is going to be nonsensically bouncy. Yes. Your brain does all the compensation for the bouncing and the movement and the, it basically works like a gimbal to offset and to take care of the error. It does error correction on what it's receiving so that what you get isn't some jumbled mess. And that, that's sort of the, that's sort of the way I try to process everything. I go, okay, I'm going to discard a bunch of information. Um, I, I, I know I have to do that to get from point A to point B. So it's an even stitch. Um, so if I'm going to explore something way over here, I can't start here. I'm never, they don't connect. The, yeah. you, you play video games. You know what it's like when you go into a dungeon on an old game and your torch only goes so far and the map hasn't been revealed? Yeah. And it's even on games now. It's not until you explore parts of that map and get outside of what you can see originally. That you go, oh, I see how to get from here to here, but to get from here to here, I got to go here, 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 and here. And I just, the travel and all this other stuff that I try to put myself in the place of mentally, when I sit there and do these dumb thought experiments, where I go, what would the world look like if I really do try to come at them from a place of all the things I believe now don't come with me? I'm really trying to get there with. Whatever I believe spiritually, whatever I believe uh, that we are communally or whatever my beliefs are about family or friendship or nation or flat, all that stuff that just is my inherent foundation, it's really, really difficult but also really awesome to set it to the side and go, what would I think if this was my background? How would I view this problem if this is where... I saw the world, and the only way I know how to tell you to get those different vantage points is to go to those different vantage points and sit there with the people who see the world that way and talk about how they see the world and try to get a bit of a foundation for 
what their beliefs are built on, and then you scrawl that in a notebook and you go on with your life, and eventually you read back through them. But those are the places I try to go when I'm going, ah, what if? Yeah. Because everything that starts with me is just it's more fucking me, man. <laughs> you know, it's funny, you, you bring that up, and, and here, comes, here comes that thing again. Me and my wife, we talk about that. Like, what if our, what if our lives were different? She grew up really fucked up, and she's talked about, like, this the things that made her this hardened person who can easily drop somebody because she knows what it's like when you give somebody your heart. And I'm not even talking about romantically, but like when you give somebody your heart as a friend or a relative and they fuck you over, and she's like, I can drop somebody easily because that's where she's come from. For me, it's a little different. I dwell on stuff. And so we've had the conversations on what happens if our lives are reversed. I always say she would be the president of the United States. I'd be dead or in jail. <laughs> but but she but then she'll always combat that and go, "How do you know that?" She goes, "Our she goes, your life may have been more comfortable, and now because of that, she doesn't have the same kind of um, tolerance or attitude towards life that she has." But now. how long? But how long do y'all carry those beliefs? How long do those identities come with you? So, at what point? At what point do y'all become something different than so, what 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 you were when you met? So that's the funny thing about it. Like with our relationship, we have literally grown with each other. We've been together for going on fifteen years. Come August, we've been married, going on seven. So we've gone through. We're definitely not the same people we were. Like her, um, her niece lived with us. Like the room you see now. Which I'm now calling Krakoa. It was her niece's yeah. old, was her was her niece's old room, and without bad mouthing her, my wife kicked her out. Now the year and three quarters that she was living with us, me and my wife's relationship was okay, as opposed to before it was great, and now a lot of it had to do with me not speaking up more because of the things that were going on, and. We took some hits as a as a relationship, but once she was gone, our relationship was back at a ten again. And so we sat and we have we always have these really deep conversations about everything. It can be race, religion, uh, Black Lives Matter. She's a mixed she's a mixed woman. Like her mom is, as she her words, ladies and gentlemen. She goes, her dad is Cape Verdean, who literally came here from Cape Verde. And, like, you know, got his green card, came here and all that. And her mother is white trash. That's how she describes <laughs> it. And that's how she describes it. And she always talks about her growing up. She wasn't white enough for the white people about black enough for black people. Um, so there, so we have, these, we have these really deep conversations about that, about religion. And we really sit and we, have, we talk. And I think one of the reasons that our relationship remains as strong as it is is because as we grow as people, we grow as a relationship. Like we like, to, for example, today I posted on Facebook something funny. She wanted to um go buy a gift for some friends who were just having their first child, and because of my back surgery, I can't really walk around like that. So I sat in the car, I kept the auxiliary going, and I passed the fuck out. I woke up an hour later. I'm like, where the fuck is my wife at? And so I made a joke on Facebook and I tagged her. I'm like, it's been five years since I saw my wife. I've been living on nothing but stuff in the cup holder and in the glove compartment. Oh, uh, you're Oregon Trailer. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> ha, ha. 
Four people will get that joke, but it's still great. Don't matter. They're all 50 plus, and those people got money. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, but she gets the joke, and she laughed. And so when she saw the joke, she said, fuck that. I wish I would have went to the other store after that, after I would have saw that. But, to, but, like, her sense of humor is fucking great. And we understand each other. So, when you know, you'll appreciate this more than most. Deadpool was just coming out. Uh, as a movie. I have a Deadpool tattoo that I've had since 2004. Oh, shit. Hang on. You want to see something cool? Hang yeah, on a second. Yeah, always. Hang on. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Uh, six, page six. There's... Anyway, it's the original art. It's hard to see. That's it, fucking so. great. But that's yeah. fucking dope. So... Um, so, so I have... Yeah. So this was... So, okay. Here's a couple of stories. So one... <laughs> Uh, my wife doesn't understand my love for Rosario Dawson. So, but during Rhode Island Comic Con, she paid seventy five dollars for me to get a picture with her. Ah. Uh. And I, but she ended up not going. She had some like political stuff to do, and like you know, my wife. So, so she was pissed. She's like, "Fuck Rosario Dawson." I'm like, "She's doing stuff for like to help you." She goes, "I know, but still, fuck her." Right. <laughs> but, uh, she came in second in my poll anyway. So. <laughs> Uh, no, 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 never mind. I'm not even gonna make the joke. <laughs> um, but um, so her friend was so her excuse me, her former friend was getting married the weekend Deadpool was coming out, and I said to her, "I'm going to see Deadpool come hella high water," and she was just like, "I'll make it happen," and she said, "She goes, I will make sure you see that the day it comes out." Sure enough, we're in fucking Las Vegas. I have no idea where the fuck these movie theaters were. We walked from. Wherever the fuck we were to the strip, from the strip to the movie theater to go see this 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 fucking Deadpool movie, and because that's, but again, it's the evolution and like the love that she has for certain things. Now there are certain there are a lot of there there are some things that I just don't get that she does, but I'll give it a shot. Who gives a shit? Like <laughs> she calls me a fourteen year old girl because I love Taylor Swift What'd music. What you do? I love I, I, <laughs> I love Taylor Swift music. I listen to fucking um, emo music. That's just what I do. So, but like, I like Lance Morissette. So she laughs at this shit, but she understands it and she accepts hey man, it. Hey, anybody who gives you shit for listening to Lance Morissette while you're by yourself, that's that's not your person. You push her down some stairs <laughs> and y'all have a real conversation in the morning. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Trust and believe. She tells me. So w- one day she was just like, have you ever heard of, because she loves Lance Morissette. She Went to go see her in concert, I think, a few months ago, maybe a couple months Atlantis ago. Atlantis is remarkable. And the, the reason I drink, that song speaks to me in a certain fucking way. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, this woman is phenomenal. So, but she laughs at me. Oh, what the fuck is it? Um, um, Avril Lavigne. She has this one really stupid song that I love. And she was, she goes, oh my God, you're a fortune. Is it Skater Boy? No, it's um, Why Should I Care. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Why Should I Care. And she goes, she goes, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, I like this song. What do you want for? She goes, you're a 14 year old girl. And so, but again, it's the, these these kind of jokes. Just, it kind of makes me who I am. Like, and it makes our relationship work. My best friend Lavelle, who who, all right, funnily enough, big black dude with long dread, long locks. <laughs> and hey, we got a type. <laughs> <laughs> and so we um, so we joke about these random things, and they're conversations that me and him can have that I can't have with other people because they're just, we grow as people. Like, I don't use the F word for the homosexual community because it's wrong. I wouldn't want someone who's not, who doesn't look like me to drop the N-bomb, so why should I do the same thing? And so, again, evolution as people. 
and then like the like but we still make we still make fucked up jokes <laughs> but yes but like they're within but like we also are very sensitive to the people even when they're not around us but um it's 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 life it's, it's but fucking you, life you, you have to everything of this is the the whole theme of the episode everything evolves it's we evolve society evolves language evolves all of it evolves what was we all we always act like these things we're, we're tying people up for right now and kicking them out of things for like they weren't social social acceptability is a sliding scale it moves it's a window and i know this is a comic i mean my job is to to shoot at things that aren't inside the safe window the window is us that's what we've socially agreed on inside of this you cannot touch this but this moves like that 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 yodeler on on the price is right <laughs> it's just going up a slope and there's a there's a window and it travels with it and we're allowed the whole time to make fun of what's on the edges right mm-hmm. you can make fun of the really weak and the really powerful and that's it that's that's you can go back to the beginning of society and we have always culturally agreed that anybody too weak or too powerful was safe fodder. By weak, I don't mean let's punch homeless people. I just mean people too weak to defend themselves. If you took a if you took a if you took a social group that had some proclivity, and it doesn't it could be sexual, it could be whatever. But fi- think of a very niche social group, right? People, witches or something. Yeah. Like there's how many witches are there in real America? And I don't mean people who practice Wicca. I mean, pointy hats and they... they Cauldrons and the whole nine yards. Stuff, right? Yeah. See how quickly we laugh at the fringe? <laughs> where we just go, if there's really somebody with a black cat and a big pot full of weird gumbo that's got animal parts in it, and you're wearing a hat and you think the stuff in that cauldron does something, that's nonsense to almost everybody listening. But probably not to the person who's operating on that level, right? Yeah. Yet societally, we're like, oh, it's totally okay. To kind of poke fun at that's crazy talk what they're doing over there with their cauldron and their hat and we do it with the powerful people too it's presidents and politicians and celebrities that's all fair fodder it's just us and whatever this little window that we've decided is important and the problem is for so long as a society people of color and people of different sexual race they fell outside of that window we're now in a place where that window covers mercifully almost all of us it's we're we're getting there you know what's funny is because there's two different comedians on two different levels on you got pat oswald who has a joke about uh not understanding or respecting someone's opinion he goes i read green lantern comic books i'm not saying i deserve to have a green lantern ring but on on the other uh, side of spectrum you have the chris rock bit where he goes um if you're fat you can make fun of someone skinny if you're poor you can make fun of someone rich so it's funny that like there are two ends of the spectrum, and two different comedians like they don't even they don't look the same. Their their comedy isn't the same. They're not even on the same level, or even in the same groups. Like Patton Oswalt is a god to most nerds. Now Chris Rock is on is on a lot of Mount Rushmores of comedians. So right, but it's so. but it's also funny that you have like these. It's it's almost the same, but it's also very different. So it's kind of it's. This is why I we all, we we all agree that it's everyone agrees that you don't want to punch down. 
Yeah. It's, it's it's no one. It's not fun to hit an unmoving target. That's why most of us are shooting. Uh, that's why there's. That's why Kathy Griffin has a career. It's it's uh, just her shooting a shotgun at more famous doves than her. That's that's the. <laughs> yeah. It, it's but it's 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 how I have friends of mine who I adore. Jenny Johnson has a career. For sniping at Chris Brown. Now, it doesn't hurt that she's funny and pretty and a bunch of other things. <laughs> Yo, things. Jenny Johnson is fucking... Again, yes. someone else, someone else like, might found via your show. Oh, God. Oh, my... A, she's incredible, but she's also... It, it's a... She found a cool way in. It's a... And it doesn't come from punching down. She mm-hmm. wouldn't be Jenny if she was online yelling at poor people with self-esteem issues. Yeah. That's... She's there because she took down someone bigger and everyone goes, yay! You said then, you said Jenny Johnson. I was like, "Fuck, Diane Gallagher." <laughs> who, who, who uh, another one who's an, an amazing. Con- she's actually going to do. I just. She. It's funny you say that. She texted me today, and she wants to come on and do a Whiskey Brothers episode. So I, whether she does episode one thousand or something soon, she's going to take Sam's seat on one of his next absences. She's fuck. She was one of my favorites too. Like you got. Oh God, she was. Right. But again, like you have to be a certain level of person who can come on and do this show. Um, Abby Volman. Volman. She's fucking. She. I. Her like diaper rash shit. She. Can you can you have her come on my show, please? One hundred percent, she'll do your show. You want me to put her on your show? Yes. I actually, I want to do everything. Okay, I, I would actually love to have all of y'all on the show. I want to really have a. I want to have deep conversations with Trey. I want to really talk to him, just like. And not even, like, I don't want to talk to him, like, and go, I'm a 39-year-old black man and you shouldn't say this. I want to talk to him and go, what's it like being black under 30? Like, I really want to have these conversations with him. Because, like, he just, Trey really fucking intrigues me because I, like, I always feel that, like, there's, like, he, he's a, he's a, he's a walnut. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he, like, 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 he's just, like. Like he's just sitting there, and I really do feel like that. Like you said, he... here's 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 what I know about Trey, and I I don't want to I want to be very delicate with this because I don't want to speak for him. But from the outside, Trey appears to be, and again, like a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, the the quickness with which we usually embrace these identities, right? Yeah. I am this. I am this. The fact that we're I talked about the journaling earlier because it gives context to how long I've been carrying certain luggage with me. Yeah. Where it's it's there's zero reason why I right now this me talking to you should have any business suffering from repercussions from things eighteen year old me did. Oh my god! And That's and I've heard the stories I, and I know there's more to it that he's not even explaining. Right, and, but and, I, I I say that to say it's he's. He doesn't hang on to those things. He's like constantly talking to someone on psychedelics and that he's emotionally detached from in a cool way. Maybe he's got a lot to process and I don't know about, but in a lot of terms, he's just not going to be beholden to other people's concepts of what racial identity is. And or, I fucking, I love and I, and those are Those the are the things that are it. fun to watch him explore and I would to watch you or anyone else have a conversation with him would be fascinating because I think the way he sees the world is incredible and and it's funny like talking about like people around his age like we always talk about how like people around my age we talk about how much of a gift and a curse it is but it's like I look at I listen to Trey and I'm just 
I admired his, like you said earlier, his freeness. And I lo- watch him be a, a student of comedy and then watch him be a student of podcasting. Because there are certain episodes where he doesn't speak much at all. But nope. it's not out of the fact that he doesn't have much to say. He just knows. It's, I listen to him and he goes, it's just not my place to talk. And then and then he picks his spot and he's like a fucking sniper. And if you listen to the show at all, he is as self-aware of a human being as they come. He is going to... He is that's that's what that's what everyone I think that's the allure to answer your earlier question if I didn't but the the difference between when why you saw an abrupt change when Rob left versus what we turned into instantly afterward it was just different people in the band and Trey everybody happened to play the authenticity guitar well so we suck. Oh my god. Um, you should that copyright band. that, and that should be a Whiskey Brother phrase. <laughs> I, I'm not even, not, all jokes aside, like, I, I would write this down Whiskey Brothers, the authenticity guitar. Because that's really, <laughs> that's really what you guys are. It's like, it's really just the authenticity guitar. Because no one really comes on there and is anything that they, they're not the person that they're not. Like, you know what I mean? And you can't, you can't sit in this fourth seat with me. It, Sam's gone a lot, but. You can't sit at the table with me, Trey, and Jerry and bullshit for long without someone saying something. And it's usually, I'm the last one who has to. Uh, it's just a, it's a fun dance and it happens twice a week. And it, if you get in with us, I think it's it's inarguably enjoyable. Uh, we're, we're really, really, really good at what we do. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's amazing. Like the, the show has continued to get better. I will listen I, you guys continue to get my money every Patreon <laughs> at the Bro. beginning of the month. Any more of these sons of bitches leave, it's all over. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's funny about it is, it's like, I can't wait to, I can't wait for like a decade from now and then seeing someone like Trey Tutson and then going, like, I remember interviewing Slade Ham and him saying that like, he's going to be, be the best of us. And it's. And like you said, it's you a, will. You it's, will. It's, it's, it's a student it's, thing. It's He's just twenty. I've been doing this for twenty-two years, Mark. There's a, like, like, like we spoke about. You see, you know what a what an arc does, and you know when it's on the right trajectory, and you know when it's gonna burn up on reentry, and you just can see that because after twenty-two years, I've been standing back for. I've seen them all. I've seen every arc. I've seen. I've seen people leave this atmosphere from every vector you can imagine. And I can tell you when it's going to work way, and I, that kid is magic. So I, yeah. enough about that. It's, you can see him on Mondays. <laughs> uh, Whiskey Brothers. Uh, Whiskey somebody, Bro- somebody's going to clip these out. It's going to sound like I like everybody way more than I do. <laughs> uh, so you can listen to the Whiskey Brothers every Tuesday and Fridays Correct. on um, every, everywhere available on podcasts. Uh, you can find them on Twitch on Mondays. I want to say 7 o'clock Texas time. So we do, we're pushing, uh, I think we're going to move everything over to YouTube Live starting uh, after episode 1000, so that's really the, of all the places to find us, if you just go to the YouTube, you're guaranteed to miss nothing. That's also, so yeah, there's also the Patreon, um, you go to Patreon, go to the Whiskey Buzz, you can find the parks that go on with that. Uh, Sladeham is not really active on Twitter, but when he does post something on Twitter, it's usually fucking hysterical because it's um like the Jay Z it's like the Jay Z uh, phrase "get in, get out, and get something." <laughs> <laughs> it's Twitter, oh, dude. I'm so I'm socially dark. I don't I don't do Facebook. I don't do Instagram. I'm on them all, 
Like, if you want to go send a request or something, you can sit in my in, in languish in purgatory. But I, <laughs> I, my soul is better because of it, and I, I yeah. occasionally will send out like a an outbound only. Uh, I the Whiskey Brothers has a TikTok now, so occasionally I just oh, posted shit. a clip. Yeah. On, there's some there's a stand up clip of me on uh, the TikTok that you can't find anywhere else. But I'm personally just ah, find me in person. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like and it's funny because like I was like God, I wish I lived. If I I wish I lived closer because like I would love to hang and have these conversations more often. Um, so make sure you listen to the Whiskey Brothers podcast. Um, I've actually noticed that there the uh, is this thing on is actually coming in with the uh, when you. Uh, I've added it to the audio feed now, so if you follow the Whiskey Brothers on po- Apple Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartMedia, any of those uh, places, you're gonna get is this thing on. Those episodes generally release late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning. Uh, so it's a good way to wake up on Wednesday. I'm showcasing three really talented. We're in the best of. Uh, it's like the it's the, is this thing on All Stars this season? So we grab 15 of the best contestants from the previous season. They're all super hot local Houston comics. Uh, Abby Volman being one of them. Uh, and if you get a chance, uh, this last episode that had Kenji Alonzo, MC Lotto, and Micah Green on it, <laughs> Kenji's they resurrected, great. Kenji's they great. resurrected <laughs> dead comedians. And uh, Paul Mooney, Richard Pryor, and Robin Williams. And it's one, it's about seven minutes long if you go to the middle of that episode. It's one of the most exceptional seven minutes of comedy I've ever hosted. So oh, who's, uh, um, it's a good taste. Somebody on last week, uh, not something last week, Tuesday, Aguilar. I can never remember his first name. Antonio Aguilar, who is a regular on the podcast. He's been on a few times. He's a standout. These are just, I'm not kidding you. If you want to go see 15 of the best Houston comics right now, uh, check into what we're doing on Is This Thing On. It'll tell you very good. It'll give you a really good picture of what we're doing in the South comedically. Yeah. Um, And for those of you who don't know, like, Texas has been like, and I wasn't joking when I say Texas has been gunslinging for, like, comedians. Google, do yourself a favor, Google Texas comedians, and you'll go, oh, they're not really from place X, they're actually from Texas. And there are certain places in the in America, I'm going to say, because I don't know about the world, but there are certain places in America that if you can survive as a comedian there, you can survive anywhere. And definitely, if, uh, I always feel that, like, I've heard stories from, like, I have a friend, um, Sean Bedgood, who talks about, like, Texas, like, um, about being like a place where, like, if you're not a good comedian and you don't really have the chops, you will not survive there. The city uh, breeds beasts. It breeds beasts, and it's a. I, I think you'll see that if you go poke your head around the the YouTube channel. There's just between the Whiskey Brothers and the shows that we're bringing these local comics on, and some of this other content we're making. It's a man. It's just it's like cutting into a whiskey brothers cake and looking at the layers and uh, yeah. i'll defend it i'll defend it icing the crust right, i'm gonna end it at that uh thank you for listening this has been the old man wade show um until next time be excellent to each other peace damn it wade